on March 16th, 2019. So depending on when you're watching this, possibly three years ago to the day, the UFC touched down in London, England at the O2 Arena for UFC fight night, Till versus Masvidal. It was a rousing night of fights and largely went well for the hometown fans right up until the main event where, of course, Masvidal started his amazing star turn of 2019 by knocking Till out and then uh, landing the fabled three-piece in a soda on co-main event winner Leon Edwards backstage. That was the last time the UFC was in the UK. It's been a long time. An unaccustomed long time. Uh, the UFC went to the UK three times in 2016, twice each in 2017 and 2018, and had gone the one time in 2019. And then, of course, COVID happened. The fight night Woodley versus Edwards, scheduled for March 21st, 2020, was actually the first card the UFC had to cancel due to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Since then, they tried to go back a couple times. Uh, they tried to go back or had planned to go back in September of last year. That was UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Till. That ended up getting moved to the apex. It ended up being UFC Vegas 36 or 37, something like that. But just this Las Vegas card weirdly stacked with UK fighters. Now, finally, they do make it back. Uh, I imagine it will be a fond homecoming for the UFC, which has always really, really enjoyed passionate crowds and generally very good cards in the UK. Uh, this is my long way around to uh, saying welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 204, Volkov versus Aspinall. And boy, does it feel good for me not to have to tell you that this is UFC Vegas 51 or whatever it would be. This is UFC London. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Uh, Keith, how are you doing? How does it feel to be back in England, at least in spirit, if not in body. Yeah, I mean, to me, it doesn't really matter where they are, but I love the live crowd. I mean, there's some, say what you want. The loud live crowd brings excitement to it, being that England's always been a great crowd. European crowd's always good. I mean, we saw Bellator over there recently, and there was like some of the best crowds in history. Uh, this is an even better card than Bellator was putting on. Um, some really exciting fighters. Really good matchmaking. That's what I like. The, I mean, it's... For a fight night, this is a stacked fight night. I mean, you can have two oh. or three different fights on this card headline, this card. So that's what I love about this. The, well, and I like that you point out that it's a well-put-together card. Uh, you remember, because you mentioned to me uh, a few shows ago, when the UFC had their first show back with a full house that was, I think, advised our veterans in in Florida, and the first fight out of the gate was Ariadne Carnelosi, and the crowd was just going bananas for a couple of, basically unproven, uh, you know, lower level at the time, women fighters, but just was so happy to have fights back in front of them that it was kind of this joyous moment. The UFC is really doing its best to make sure that that happens here. Looking at this card, at least as it's currently set up, the first eight fights feature a UK fighter against a non-UK fighter. And the first six of them, the UK fighter is the favorite. I have the feeling that this, but but not in ridiculous squash matches for the most part. Sure. But just ones where by the time we get to the main card or, you know, most of the way through the prelims, that crowd should be at a fever pitch. 
Yeah. It's always a great crowd, but it's a different kind of crowd when you're in the UK or Ireland. You're going to hear like the chanting and the singing. You know, if there, it has part fight crowd, part football match kind of thing to it, where that look, culture bleeds look at over. You. Look at you, man! So so accustomed to the European that you you said football match, not soccer game. I I stopped myself and and made really? myself say good. yeah, because not not like American football, because American football, you know. A couple of these hometown guys loses. You're gonna see like cups of beer thrown onto the the field, and you know people or people just leaving. You know, yeah. <laughs> we, we suck. But <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you said so something else. To, hold on, oh, go for it. I, I want to address this. I want to apologize to our uh, our listeners who um, they kind of got a set schedule. This is coming out one day later than we normally do. That was 100 on me. I had to cancel a couple of times. So uh, Ben was gracious enough to move it back to uh this week uh this point or so we right. apologize if you like to start off your monday watching the uh show instead of yeah we're one. recording this monday night and it'll go live as soon as i finish putting it together once we're done talking here but if there were ever a card that it was a good idea to delay on this might have been it because on top of obviously having i think something like brits in 12 of the 13 fights there are a lot of russian fighters on here and I thought it was worth waiting to see until people like Alexander Volkov, uh, Sergei Pavlovich, actually got off the plane and hit the ground in the UK. Uh, you know, just some UK promotions like BAMA, British Association of Mixed Martial Arts, weeks ago uh, pulled all the Russian fighters off of their upcoming cards. And it wasn't as a political statement against those fighters. It was just bowing to the reality that there might be travel restrictions by the time these fights scheduled for March, April, May came along. So they preemptively pulled the Russian fighters off their cards. The UFC, of course, isn't going to do that. Like, you, if, there, if, there's, if there's one truism in this universe is that you can't tell Dana White what he can and can't no. do until you do. So it would have taken... Uh, the beginning of this week for things to start falling apart. But no, the, the UFC is like, we're pushing on with this card. And from what it looks like on Monday evening, it's going to work out. Uh, so uh, yeah, good, good for the fans. Yeah, I hope it does. You mentioned something else uh, before we started recording, that these fight night cards that they put on in the UK are traditionally very strong. Uh, they, I mean, they're oftentimes just a, they're a pay-per-view worthy card without the title fight main event. You know, and I think this one certainly qualifies. If there were some, if there were any title fight atop this card and Volkov Aspinall was your co-main event, you'd be like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I, what I like about this is we have, for a fight night, we have many ranked fighters on this card. We have fights that matters in the rankings. I mean, I think of, Arnold Allen versus Dan Hooker. That's a that's a great matchup at, at featherweight. Obviously, the main event, uh, like a guy like Paul Craig, who's been constantly winning. He's got a tough test in Nikita Krylov. We got guys returning, uh, like oh. Gunnar Nelson and Sergey Pavlovich. They're both guys I I like forgot about these guys. Mm -hmm. and, and but they were both doing really well at one point in their careers. I know obviously Gunnar Nelson has lost a couple, but he's lost to really good people. We have a Kind of a budding superstar in in Patty Pimlet. He uh, whether you like him or hate him, like he draws interest, and there's a lot of good prospects like like Elil Taporia and, and Dude, Jack Shore's on the prelims. Jack Shore yeah, versus Timur uh, Valia, which is an yeah. incredible fight. 
Yeah, I I love this card. This card's loaded. Yeah, uh, this card is loaded, and we've dropped some of these names here, but they have stacked this card with the best of what the UK has to offer, at least at, like, the UFC level. Whoever you think the best UK prospect is right now, they're probably on this card. If you think it's Pimlet, if you think it's Arnold Allen, Jack Shore, uh, if you are a believer that Corey McKenna is the future and she has all the time in the world, they're all on this card. Uh, yeah, another and, one we forgot about, yeah. And they're all in sensible matchups. Uh, yeah, this is a fun card. I am jazzed to to start breaking it down. Unless you've got anything else, uh, you ready to get started? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, first out of the gate at UFC London is a Bantamweight matchup between Nathaniel Wood and Vince Morales. Wood, the 28-year-old uh, Englishman, is 17-5 and five overall. He is 4-2 and two since joining the UFC as a former Cage Warriors Bantamweight champ. By the way, there are six former uh, Cage Warriors champs on this card, I think, so that, that's how UK fresh this is. But he has been gone for a while. He last fought in October of 2020. That was at UFC 254, where he lost a unanimous decision to Casey Kenny. Since then, he was meant to come back at that wannabe London card last September, the one that ended up being Vegas 36. Uh, he ended up pulling out with a broken hand, so it has been about a year and a half since we've seen him. He is going to step in against late-notice replacement Vince Morales. Morales enters his card on a week or week-and-a-half notice as Ludovic Shalinian pulled out as he is Ukrainian. He's staying in Ukraine to be with his family. Uh, no word on whether he'll be joining the armed forces like so many other uh, Ukrainian mixed martial artists and boxers have, but he's definitely not fighting in England this weekend. Morales steps in, and uh, he is 11-5 and five overall, 31-year-old out of Idaho by way of Las Vegas. He is 3-3 three and three in the UFC. He was a competitor on the second season of Dana White's Contender Series, but he did lose. Uh, he lost to Domingo Pilarte there, went back and won a fight in Bellator, then got signed to the UFC. Uh, since then, again, 3-3. Three and three. He is on a two-fight winning streak. Uh, he beat uh, Draco Rodriguez by unanimous decision last August and knocked out Luis Smolka in just two minutes at UFC on ESPN fought versus Aldo in December. Uh, Wood is a comfortable favorite here. He's minus 260. Morales plus 210 as the underdog. But it's worth noting that Wood was an even bigger favorite over Shalinian going into this fight. So it's another case of the UFC finding a short notice opponent that actually is at least perceived to be a uh, more of a challenge for the fighter who's standing and waiting. We'll see how that works out. Uh, Keith, I had almost forgotten about Nathaniel Wood. H had you? And tell me how you think this fight goes. Yeah, that's actually like my trifactor of guys I forgot. It was uh, Gunnar Nelson, Sergey Pavlovich, and Nathaniel Wood. And Nathaniel Wood at one time had a lot of buzz coming into the UFC. Now he's taking on Morales, who uh, I wonder what the line would have been if Morales didn't take the fight on short notice because he's he's a pretty talented guy. This is a pretty fun, it should be a fun matchup. So Wood, long, you know, he's been out for a while, as you mentioned, long, lengthy fighter, um, very poised, very calm on the feet, works a long jab. Uh, I like that he, uh, he 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 likes to lead with his like powerful right hand, so he throws like straight right as a lead punch. Void shots with a very boxing style with like shoulder rolls. Uh, likes he likes deep kicks up the middle. He mixes kicks and punches together well. Uh, he is a I would say he's an underrated grappler. Nice takedowns, uh, both from inside trips or just driving through 
the hips and entries. Slick BJJ game. Uh, he does have a submission game. Pretty well-rounded guy. Move over to Morales. Morales is 31 years old, so he's in his prime years. On the feet, pressure striker, high volume, throws accurate shots. He's pretty elusive to avoid shots. He likes to, like, slip and rip style. I would say he has plus power, and he has a killer instinct. If he if he sees his opponent's hurt, he will swarm and, and get the finish. Mixes takedowns in well, does well to drive through his hips. But he's a, I would say he's a weak defensive wrestler, though. Um, he has two submission wins on his record, but he also, out of his, I think he has five losses, two of them have come by way of submission. So as a prediction, if you, it, my notes, they're very similar, like things I was saying about each of them. Um, I like both guys. I really do. Uh, I'm going to take Wood, especially being that he had the full camp instead of uh, Morales. I think he's, I think Wood is also more technically sound on the feet. I think Morales might have the power advantage, but if, if Wood gets in trouble, I like that he can go to his grappling. I think he can win the grappling battle, especially just like a straight wrestling match. Add that it's in his home country, as you mentioned on the uh, lead-up, that the crowd's going to be rocking for him. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say Wood wins by decision. Yeah, I, I like that breakdown. One cool thing about Morales is he actually called out Wood after he knocked out Smolka back in December. Then, you know, obviously he didn't get it. They booked a different fight for Wood. And as soon as Shalinian dropped off, Morales is literally like, well, what kind of you-know-what would I be if I'm not man enough to step up now when this is what I asked for? So he he called for it and he got it. But I, I'm with you. I'm leaning Wood here. It's an interesting thing about Wood, and I feel this way about a lot of fighters who come from the UK, and maybe it's just a UK culture thing and the way the fighters present themselves. But the ultimate example of this is Brad Pickett. It's a guy who presents as like this, I'm this tough brawler, I'm just coming to slug. But then once they get to the UFC, actually their best weapons are their wrestling and their grappling somehow. Isn't he uh, a Pickett I, guy too? Is he trained by Pickett? Wood? I, I think he is. Is he a Pickett student of Pickett? That, that, that would make perfect sense if that's the he case. Is. Because yeah, I'm there, like there you go. It's the, it's the secret Neil, or sorry, uh, you know, Brad one punch picket playbook where you call yourself one punch and you walk out, you know, looking like uh, from snatch, but then secretly, I just want to take you down and take your back and, and choke you out. Uh, and I agree that that's probably going to be the difference here. Uh, I think the strike is probably going to be very even. Morales does have an advantage in demonstrated power, but it's not one punch power, no pun intended, to the point where if he stings Wood with something Wood doesn't like, I think he does have that safety valve to take it down. And while I think it would be competitive on the ground as well, I think Wood is going to be a little bigger and stronger down there and have the advantage. So give me Wood by decision as well. But this should be a real fun fight. And again, if it turns out like we think it does, the crowd will be amped. Yeah, and I just I just think about Pickett is his um, man, <laughs> uh, his coach. So that's how perfect. perfect. How perfect. Yeah. Yep. And, and and shout out to Morales. I mean, if he. If he backs up his word, takes a fight of shut nose win, that's some pretty gangster shit too. So yeah, it, oh, yeah. completely. And you know, he it was a respectful call out. He was just like, you know, he he needs to fight. The UFC's going to London. I'd love to be the guy. But yeah, he ended up getting it. He he got what he wished for. Man. Next up, we got uh, Corey McKenna versus Elise Reed. You ready for this one? By the way, to those watching, uh, I am leaving the recording going here. I'm just gonna, I'm giving myself timestamps to when when to put the next image up. Oh, but, we're not making. 
No, nah, we're not breaking. We'll, we'll break oh, if okay. we like. If we say something really inappropriate, like we might. <laughs> like if, if you see a break, it's probably because we said something that would get us fired. Uh, next up at UFC London, UFC Fight Night 204 is a women's strawweight matchup between Corey McKenna and Elise Reed. McKenna, the 22-year-old from Essex, England, is six and one overall. She is one and zero since joining the UFC out of the. 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. Her debut was all the way back in November of 2020. That was UFC Fight Night Felder versus Dos Anjos, where she beat Kay Hansen by unanimous decision. She'll be taking on Reed. Uh, Reed, the 29-year-old New Jersey native, is 4-1 overall. She is 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, she joined up last summer, debuted against Sajara Eubanks, who, miracle of miracles, made the flyweight limit for once and uh, pounded Reed out in pretty short order. That was a first round TKO via ground and pound. Reed will now be dropping back down to her accustomed straw weight. And uh, nonetheless, she is a bit of an underdog here. It's McKenna minus 235, Reed plus 190 or so. Uh, this is an interesting one to me, Keith, because uh, one, you talk a lot about when you have a very young fighter and they have a significant amount of time off, there's always the possibility that they're going to make huge advances in in their uh, in their skills. You know, when you've only been fighting for three years, if you have a whole year off, that's a third of the entire time you've been doing this to continue developing. That's much more significant than you know some 38 year old that takes a year off. Uh, she was supposed to fight last August. She was supposed to fight uh, Emily Whitmire, and uh, she pulled out due to like it was unspecified health issues, but. It was, I think, at the beginning of fight week. It just felt like it might have been weight cut related, but that's totally conjecture on my part. Uh, so I'm curious, one, to see if she makes weight without incident, and then to see what sort of what sort of incremental improvement she's made in her skills. With Reed, I'm more interested to see what she looks like back down at 115. Because the thing is, she, I mean, this is only her sixth professional fight, but really she didn't look that bad on the come up. She... I mean, she beat Jasmine Yasuda Vicious, who's now in the UFC and won her debut and is looking great. Uh, she beat Jillian DeCourcy, who, I mean, DeCourcy is tiny, but a good fighter. And she beat both of them. I'm I'm inclined to give her a pass against Sajara Eubanks. I mean, she's a, a strawweight moving up to flyweight, meeting Sajara Eubanks, who rarely makes flyweight. And when she does, she's just an absolute brute. Like, of course, she got flung down to the ground and like Donkey Kong. We'd, we'd just be an atomweight. Who did? I think, first, I think our Reed's first fight was atom weight. I, that wouldn't surprise because I mean, I Jillian DeCourcy is usually an atom weight. Yeah, when well, she fought the porn star, Rebecca Brigman. Yeah, I was there in attendance. I said that too quickly, didn't I? Like, it's <laughs> I, I shouldn't have had that name quite so ready on the tip of my tongue. It would it would have been better if you said her like porn name. Uh, I. Oh, Orient Star. <laughs> I said that. I said that too quickly. And and away we go, folks. <laughs> Welcome to the Uncut Shirt Hog Radio was, Network. I was, I was I was there in attendance. Talk about the for the, about, for the fight. Talk about the Reed fight, not not. Oh, for the fight, yeah. not not the porn. Not the porn. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I mean, Reed in in the Eubanks fight, my thought instantly was, okay, this is not going her way, but I would like to see her at, at straw weight again. Uh, who do you think wins this one? So I had to recover after the porn jokes. Um, 
Yeah. See, to me, this is a really good prospect versus a. I, I agree with you saying about Reed. Like, I see her as a UFC talent, but I, I see her as a lower level UFC talent. Like, I, I don't think she. Like, like, I think she deserves to be here. So, I mean, I, without giving my breakdown of the fighters, I think people know who I'm picking. I like the guy. I mean, she's 22 years old, as you mentioned, at the age where you can just continue to improve. She's not a great athlete, but she's super strong and just like a she's just like a brute. Like she's just kind of like big sister people. Like just mm-hmm. um, I, I like that she can fight at both stances. She she does really well to dart in and out of range and then get out before getting getting attacked. Similar to what we just saw Miranda Maverick do against Sabina Mazo. Uh, chopping leg kicks. She'll she'll throw a high kick, which uh, she'll surprise you with that. She's kind of like a Derek, Derek Lewis surprising head kick where you uh you look at her and, and her style you don't think she can get, get it up there but uh she's developing that she's a bit of a grinder grinding against the cage uh that's where she really uses that strength uh she does well to d- dive down on her opponent's hips and get the takedown uh she also likes when she's driving through she'll do like that back trip or when she's pressed against the cage she'll like uh or, i always think of hoist gracie against uh gerard gardeau where you kind of get that like leg behind it and just pull it out um she does she will shoot sometimes without any setup which i, I don't like uh, and i have seen her get taken down on the regional scene on her way up against lesser opponents so i don't like that but those are things that she needs to clean up and if she cleans that up she's gonna be a really good force uh reed as, as you mentioned like we, we talked about being undersized at 115 i mean at one she might be undersized at 115 too i'm not really sure about that uh, but uh, she's a pressure striker high volume She's a boxer. Uh, I'd say her boxing's pretty good, busy jab, but she tends to, I said the last time, she tends to lack some power because she pulls her punches a little bit. Um, that's because she keeps her chin high in the air. Uh, due to her boxing style, she's open to leg kicks. She's decent in the clinch, uh, not much of an offensive wrestler, but she's on top. She's got some like brutal ground and pound, uh, but we saw her get beat up on the ground by... Sajara Eubanks. She also, like, Hillary Rose was a fight, and, and Hillary Rose also a lot bigger than her, too. But, like, Hillary Rose almost submitted her a couple of times, including a like, had her in an inverted triangle. That's not a good look. Uh, so, I like McKenna. I just think she's better everywhere. I expect her to land the shots on the feet before closing distance and get in takedown. Once on top, she just unleashes that hard ground and pound. I actually think she'll work to a better position, eventually get, maybe get even get a mount or something. And, and get a TKO by Grand Apostle, giving the kind of by second round TKO. Uh, I'm feeling very much the same way here. Uh, in fact, you kind of said it in the first sentence. This is a good prospect against a very good prospect, someone who probably belongs in the UFC versus someone who in a couple of years might have top 10 upside. That pretty much sums it up for me. And McKenna's, I mean, for someone who, like, I say this as neutrally and respectfully as possible comes across very adorable. She has a mean grimy streak in, in her fight style. And because of that, I am with you. I think she's going to find a finish somehow here uh, just to keep it interesting. I'm going to say she finds a sub in the second round, but probably ends up being one of those, one of those choose your poison situations where she's in Mount and she's dropping hammers and Reed can either turtle up or give her back. Uh, so give me McKenna by second round submission, but it'll be a nice comeback after yeah. You know, well over a year off. We now head to the featherweight division for a matchup between Mike Grundy and Makwan Amerkani. 
Grundy, the 35-year-old Manchester native, is 12-3 and three overall. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's 12-3 and three overall. He's 1-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, won his debut over Nad Armani all the way back in 2019. Since then, he has lost back-to-back -back, uh, fights. A unanimous decision against Movsar Evloev back in July of 2020 in a very fun scramble fest. Then a split decision loss to Lando Venata last May at UFC 262 here in Houston. He will try to get things turned around against Amir Khani, the 33-year-old who goes by Mr. Finland but does train out of SBG Ireland, is 16-7 and seven overall. He is 6-5 and five in the UFC, and while he debuted with a, a certain amount of promise and obvious star potential, that has been blunted just by his misfortunes in the cage. He is on a three-fight losing streak. Those three coming against Edson Barboza, Camuela Kirk, and most recently, uh, Laron Murphy, who knocked him out last October in the second round at UFC 267. Uh, Grundy is a slight favorite here. He's minus 130. Amir Khani plus 115 as the underdog. I mean, I, I'll tell you that I see a pretty obvious uh, like it pretty obviously hinges on one thing to me. Amir Khani, even at his best, you know, when he was on the way up and he won, you know, three of his first four or four of his first five or, or something in the UFC and was looking like a future star, especially coming out of SBG Ireland. Uh, he was a, a grappler without great wrestling, either offensive or defensive. So, his best chance to win fights was usually submission, but he had a tough time getting the fight to the canvas on his terms. And for a guy like that, and that certainly has not gotten better as he's had problems, Grundy is poison. I think Grundy's wrestling credentials are probably a little overstated. You know, he wrestled for the Commonwealth on the world stage, but never placed. His best place was bronze in the Commonwealth Games. So he was the third best wrestler in the United Kingdom that year. I mean, it's good, but it, you know, it's, it's not, don't call him an Olympic hopeful is, is what Keith and I would say after last <laughs> I would week. Say, <laughs> but, but he is, he is a good offensive wrestler. You know, he's a powerful guy that shoots, you know, he, he shoots single and double legs from the outside. He, I mean, he wrestles like, like an American college wrestler for the most part. And we saw that in the Movsar Evloev fight. Evloev is a primo prospect and a fantastic wrestler and grappler. And Grundy got him down over and over again, just, Avloyev was so slippery that he never could really secure it, and it turned into endless scrambles. When he shoots through Amar Khani's hips and dumps him, Amar Khani is exactly the kind of guy that is going to jump on a guillotine or just immediately give up the takedown, go to guard, and start working from the bottom. You know, or if he goes for a scramble, he's going to be looking for a leg or something. He's he's tailor made for Mike Grunny to win rounds against. So you know. I'm sure you'll have a more detailed X's and O's than that to me. But when I see this fight in my head, I see Grundy probably winning all three rounds just by getting takedowns fairly easily and Amir Khani just being too willing to lose rounds from his back while going for low percentage stuff. So give me Mike Grundy by decision here. Yeah, I, actually, I like a lot of things that you're saying, I, and I'm agreeing. I think it's going to probably be the third fight in a row that we we agree. Um, so Mark and Amir Khani... You know, he, he's a southpaw. He keeps his hands too low for my liking, but he does use it offensively. He likes to throw the up jab. I did like his step in knees that he hit Edson Barboza, but I'm really, really, for a guy who's 
probably one dimensional fighter, for being honest. I'm really worried about his chin on the feet. I mean, he was dropped twice by Barbosa. He was dropped twice by Jason Knight. He was dropped by Shane Burgos. Marone Murphy knocked him out in his last fight. So you, you can't like that. No, he's going to want to wrestle. I agree that he's not as good of a wrestler, technically, as you say. But what he makes up for it, but just shooting, like he'll shoot a thousand times. He just mm-hmm. he won't give up on it. Uh, I I would I agree. This is I see that she's up. I think it's entries a little better than you give it credit for, but um, like he'll shoot without a setup, uh, and then like go back to the last fight. Murphy made him pay for that. Murphy timed him perfectly with a knee when he didn't set up a shot. But if he gets on top, he's probably a better like you mentioned. He's a better grappler than he is a wrestler. Like he's got good top control, good ground and pound. He has a submission threat. He's got eleven career submissions. He was that anaconda choke. But all that grappling gets him tired. We've seen him fade in fight. Now move over to Grundy. I think your breakdown was really good. Uh, one thing I'd add to that is he, he's a really good athlete. Like he's he's pretty light on the feet. He uses a lot of up and down feints, uh, which is perfect for a wrestler. I love that he cuts angles side to side when he's blitzing. He's never coming straight on the same line. When he gets inside, he's like your classic wrestle box. He gets inside, he wants all the little power hooks. He can lunge and put himself off, off balance, and he's probably going to get knocked out bad for some time for that, but by a really good striker, that's not Americani. Uh, he also makes a mistake of throwing a lot of single strikes, trying to end the fight with a perfectly placed blow, kind of a little just Emmett in, in that style. But you mentioned he's a very good wrestler. As you mentioned, medalist in the Commonwealth Games. Uh, you know, we like to shit on on, on non-American, Middle Eastern, or, or Russian yeah. wrestlers. But, uh, you know, in, in the love of the UFC, he's definitely one of the better wrestlers. Good timing on his reaction day double. Uh, he, he's good at, he's good at, like, Forcing like his footwork, forcing his opponents to kind of chase him down and then just drop underneath uh, when they over pursue. Uh, you mentioned he took Evelyn down six times, which is a great accomplishment. Uh, he is also he's also a very strong guy. If he gets any hips, he can pick you up, slam you. Uh, very good top pressure, and he's a guy who likes to chase like he likes the head attack. So he likes dark chokes, and, uh, top side guillotines, things like that. You seem very confident in Grundy, and I'm matching you, man. I, I think Grundy is a terrible stylistic matchup for Americani. I see him winning the wrestling battles. I see him putting Americani on his back during the scrambles, and I actually see him landing some pretty heavy shots on the feet. I don't trust Americani's chin anymore. I think Grundy might catch him or something. So I'm going to say Grundy gets that knockout that he's been looking for. I'm going to say Grundy wins by third round TKO. Well, there you have it. Uh, two pretty emphatic calls for Mike Grundy to get things back on track against uh, Maquan Amarkani, which would be his fourth loss in a row. You know, uh, looks like we'll have some stuff to talk about on the recap on that one. <laughs> one thing I noticed, considering we don't have any breaks, <laughs> like we're not doing any side talk like we normally do. <laughs> well, it's because we're excited for all these fights. Yeah. Like yeah, we, we always go into like the 20 minute aside and then I'm like, oh, it, that's right. It's, you know. <laughs> it's because uh you know like Antonina Shevchenko is fighting next <laughs> we can't show the listeners that we're we're friends we gotta pretend like we're just business all the time <laughs> I don't think anybody who watches the shows like things that way yeah. oh I got Muhammad Makaya versus Cody Durden next sound good yeah I have no idea what the order is like I've okay. seen like, a whole bunch of I've seen a whole bunch of different sites like I usually try to go off the UFC website, but the Sherdog has a different order than uh, ESPN has a different order. Topology has a different order. So I went I off just, the. I just know that Jack Shore is on the prelims. 
Yep, that's, Jack Shore is on the prelims. Yeah. <laughs> we head down to the flyweight division, or so we hope, knock on wood, I'll explain that in a minute, for the debut, the highly anticipated debut of Mohamed Mokhaev against Cody Durden. Mokhaev, the 21-year-old uh, Dagestani-born, but has lived and trained in the UK for, for several years now, uh, 21 years old. I don't think he's the first fighter in the UFC to be born in the 2000s, but he's one of the first two or three, which makes me feel really, really damn old. Anyway, he is a perfect 6-0 and with one no contest overall, and that's after a lengthy and I believe also undefeated amateur career. He's a super blue chip prospect. This will be his uh, debut in the UFC. He has been fighting in Brave CF. Notably, his last three fights, I believe, in Brave CF were at 130 pounds. So this will be his first time dropping all the way to 120, well, 126. Uh, so keep an eye out for that, obviously. And he will be meeting Durden, uh, the 30-year-old Georgia native uh, fighting out of ATT Atlanta, you know, the Lima brothers. He is 12-3-1 overall. He is a perfect one, one, and one in the UFC. Uh, he had a draw in his debut against Chris Gutierrez, then got absolutely posterized by Jimmy Flick in his next fight. You may remember Flick hit a flying triangle on him, then retired in the cage at the age of 26 or something and swung off into the sunset, said it, it ain't getting any better than this. We barely knew you, Jimmy Flick. Come back. Uh, and then finally got back on track last November at UFC Fight Night, Vieira versus Tate, taking a unanimous decision over Alri Chileng. Mokhaev, uh, one of the bigger favorites on the card. He is minus 350 right now, where Durden is plus 260 as the underdog. Man, I think this is a very sensible first matchup for a guy like Mohamed Mokhaev. Like, he has all the earmarks of a future just monster in this sport. He's looked fantastic on his way up against, honestly, pretty solid competition. Like, they aren't chumps that he's been beating. And I think Durden is, is a really appropriate first test for him. You know, a guy who, at the very least, he's got a big, solid flyweight build. He's a generally well-rounded guy. He's much more experienced. But he, I think he's also tailor-made for Mokayev to look really good against. Uh, Makayev has all the skills that you would expect from a uh, Dagestani. Like he's a very, very good wrestler. Everything works from his wrestling, but uh, he's a very good striker as well. Uh, likes to kick a lot. You know, he'll come out with kicks to the head, kicks to the body a lot of the time. He has the unbridled kicking game of a guy who is not afraid of being taken down. There's something about that that just kind of frees you up to to start unloading on people. Uh, you know, pretty good uh, puncher out of orthodox stance as well, you know, like has a, has a nice left jab, throws a nice uh, one-two, and that's been improving just over his six, now seven fights uh, as, a, as a pro. The thing about Durden is, in all of his fights, his opponents have had moments of offense against him. I, I think the first guy I said this about was Julian Arosa, where Julian Arosa has all the, the tools offensively, but he's an equal opportunity distributor of highlights like he's perfectly willing to end up on your highlight reel as well uh and that's what i see in all of durden's fights so far like the flick one is obvious but the draw against chris gutierrez that was a draw because he got a 10-8 first round just completely mauled him on the ground and then gutierrez won the second and third rounds not 10-8 but won him handily and just kind of you know out wrestled him teed off on the feet i had the feeling that makai was just going to run right through durden here 
Uh, Bakayev is going to come out. He's going to come out kicking. Uh, that's how he starts almost every fight. And when he decides to turn the switch and go for his first takedown, he's going to get Durden down, probably take his back in pretty short order and choke him out. Give me uh, Muhammad Mokayev to have a very successful uh, UFC debut. Give me Mokayev by first round submission here. Yeah. So one thing about Durden, you mentioned like he's nonstop action. He's a fun fighter to have in the cage. He throws these big wild haymakers, but because of that, he's going to slow down late. Uh, but he throws tons of hard leg kicks. He does check leg kicks. He's a good wrestler. The, the UFC broadcast says he's a two-time Georgia high school state champion wrestler. Again, you know how I feel about high school wrestling credentials. Uh, everybody's a state champion wrestler, it seems like. Um, and keep in mind when he says this, that he is a state champion wrestler. That Keith here is a Rhode Island state champ, so he knows of what he speaks. He's not just like yeah, shitting on something yeah. that he has no idea about. Yeah, well, I mean, but pe- people are gonna say Rhode Island, so seriously. Keith, so, Keith, Keith and and Frank Mir are your high school wrestling champs who like parlayed that into you know mixed martial arts success. No, but I, I mean, a, a regional in Georgia is probably equal, so that's what I'm assuming. He's probably <laughs> a champion, but you know what? He's probably a. a an Olympic hopeful. That's that's what he is in wrestling. Hey, uh, so am I. I'm, I'm I'm an Olympic yeah. hopeful right now. I'm hoping. I, I'm still hoping it happens. So uh, <laughs> he's he's got a good ground and pound. Uh, I am worried about his sub defense. He, he was going back to the Gutierrez guys. He almost was submitted by that. He has been submitted two of his three losses. He was submitted by Jimmy Flick. Jimmy Flick's a really good grappler. I love that you said that Jimmy Flick said that doesn't get any better than beating Cody Durden and calling the career. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Makaya. Uh, uh, despite only being 5-0, and seeming inexperienced, I looked up, he's got at least 22 amateur fights on his mm-hmm. record. Uh, he's a very good athlete, high-volume striker, fast hands. I like how he sets up his strikes with good feints, strong-out attacks, good head movement, has really slip-and-rip style. I love that he rips the body. Uh, he can be pulled into a, a brawl a little bit, but he's got fast hands, and that's, that's probably why he likes to like, respond with combos. Strong wrestler, good entries, smothering top control. Like that's my probably the best part of his game is just like he's got that Dagestanian style to him where he gets on top of controls, very good ground and pound. If you try to take it down, strong takedown defense. And like I said, he only has five pro fights, but two of them came by way of submission. So uh, you got to feel good about that. And I think this fight could be really fireworks on the feet if both guys decide to brawl it out. But if it hits the ground, we could have some pretty fun scrambles, but despite having less fights, and I guess I, I agree with you, he's fought some pretty good competition, but probably lesser competition than Durden has. Uh, I think Mukayev is just way more polished. I think he's better everywhere. Uh, I think he wins all the wrestling exchanges. He could find a submission late, or or he could uh, Durden can gas out and he can find a finish, um, you know, ground and pound or or a sub, but. I'm going to say Durden makes it to the scorecard. Give me uh, Makayev to win all three scorecards, 30-27. There you go. Uh, two calls for Mohamed Makayev to have a successful debut in front of a crowd that, frankly, they, they will claim him as their own. Like, he he's a British fighter as far as they're concerned. It's it's like uh, how, I, how I claim anybody who's doing good as a, as a New England fighter. Like, yeah. Alex Bayer has been training. Kind of, he's like Southern New Englander. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. it. I'm claiming him. He doesn't speak English, but he's a solid <laughs> All he's going to say is, like, I'm whipping good, and we got him. Yep. 
Man, do you see that uh, Eagle FC has Junior Dos Santos versus Jorgen DeCastro coming up? Did I I tell you what happened? I actually found out that that fight, and it was one of the ones I was doing something, and I didn't, like, check that it wasn't broke. Uh, I could have broke that fight myself. I'll kick myself that I didn't. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't break that news. But I, I, I love what I love what uh, Jay mentioned. That it was like the biggest drop up in competition ever. But Junior says you put you go from surreal god to Jorgen DeCastro. And if he beats Jorgen DeCastro, my Eagle just signed Tiago Silva. Maybe we get that next, and it's the greatest contrast between the best and worst person ever to fight each other. Like. In, <laughs> I mean, you can't find anybody who doesn't like Junior Dos Santos. No. He's just the goodest dude in no, one of the goodest I, dudes in the sport. Yeah, and I know tons of people who train with Jorgen DeCastro, and they all say that guy's like the sweetest dude. Mm-hmm. I know he's like a janitor, and his school loves him at, at Durfee High School in Fall River. That's a Fall River's a tough city too. Like, I mean, I guess so. Like, you, you've got a UFC level janitor, just you know. Make sure that people aren't like throwing, like when they throw their gum, it doesn't miss the trash can, you know? That's right. <laughs> not, a lot of, not a lot of gum underneath the tables yeah. at Duckley High School. No, but, but man, I, JDS that, I mean, really he's like the heavyweight Glover Teixeira. Like just can't find anyone to say anything bad about him, like no. opponents or, and he's going to fight Tiago Santo, Tiago Silva, like the terrifying. Yeah, he did it opposite though. Like he won the title first. He, yeah. he won the title early and then kind of, been trying to get it back ever since. Yeah. Well, that that was our Eagle FC hour. You ready to talk about Molly McCann versus Luana Carolina? You know what? It's so true. The fights that we don't want to talk about, we always have to go side tangent first. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do. We can't. Let's do it. Let's get over. Next up on the UFC London prelims is a flyweight matchup between Molly McCann and Luana Carolina. McCann, the 31-year-old. Uh, Liverpool native is 11 and four overall. She is four and three since joining the UFC as the previous Cage Warriors flyweight champ. And I say the previous Cage Warriors flyweight champ, not a previous, because she's the only one. She left Cage Warriors in 2018, and she was so awesome that they decided to just retire the That's division, it. or at least have never crowned another champ. Um, Molly McCann remains the only flyweight champ in Cage Warriors history. She'll be taking on Carolina. The 28-year-old Brazilian is 8-2 overall. She is 3-1 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. She is on a two-fight winning streak. Those two coming over Poliana Botelho and Lupita Godinez, whom she beat last October at UFC Fight Night Lad versus Dumont. Those two wins got her back on track after her first uh, UFC loss, which was that excruciating-looking knee bar against Ariane Lipsky that kind of marked the bounce back of Ariane Lipsky as a, you know, any of her previous prospect shine. But nonetheless, she's on a two-fight winning streak. That's not enough to get her uh, any love in the eyes of the odds makers, though. She is the underdog at plus 110. McCann, uh, the favorite at minus 130. And speaking of favorites, this arena, regardless of what has happened in the first four fights, is going to go absolutely bonkers when she walks out. She is an extremely beloved fighter, and... How could she not be? Her nickname is Meatball Molly. Uh, it takes one jab and a stiff breeze to make her look like she's been run, run over by a truck. She just has that British fighter complexion that just she, she's just beat red within the first 15 seconds of every fight. And uh, she's one of those does more with less in terms of 
kind of natural athletic gifts, fighters, you know, kind of the, I mean, Roxanne Modafferi would be the gold standard for that, but McCann is very much uh, of that, um, you know, she, she's of that mold. She's also of that British fighter mold that presents as a slugger. I'm just going to brawl. I'm here to scrap, but you know, deceptively good on the ground. It's not quite to the point of a Nathaniel Wood type where that, that's actually his best weapons, but you know, deceptively uh, capable of taking care of herself on the ground. And I'm, I'm going to hand this to you for your pick first because I've got thoughts about this one. But for two women that are above 500 in the UFC, like McCann is four and three in the UFC, Carolina is three and one in the UFC, I'm not super high on either. I think yeah, we've but- already seen McCann's ceiling. And I think we might have seen Carolina ceiling. I'm I'm frankly kind of surprised she's still here. I thought after the Lipsky loss, she'd lose one or two more and be gone. And she's won and hung around. And I'm not exactly sure how. So did she beat Godinez last fight? She uh, beat Godinez in her last fight, and then Poliana Botelho in the fight before that. Yeah, the Botelho yeah. fight was a splitter. The Godinez fight, I mean, she looked twice her size. I I yeah, don't know. Like, yeah. talk me off the ledge. What's good about this fight, and who wins? Um, Molly McCann is really fun. Like I'll say that. Like, I, I met her at UFC Boston when she took on uh, Diana Bobica. And like I remember doing the post-fight interviews, and I couldn't understand half the words she said, but the way she said it, like she's so like full of energy. And uh, she, I was like, man, I, I like this. I just so it's like a cool ass chick. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's Molly McCann will make it fun. Like she's high volume fighter. Uh, she can act from both stances, uses good movement. Uh, she likes to stay all the way out and then dart in and, and, and then throw high combos. She excels in the pocket. She's willing to eat a shot to land one of her own shots. At she least. Tends, yeah, yeah. Uh, she tends to throw too many power shots for my liking, um, being that she's like, she tries to end the fight with one shot. She's heavy on her lead leg, which gives her power, but also can get it kicked out. I mean, uh, Tyler Santos destroyed her uh, lead leg and also kept timing her with teep kicks up the middle. She can grind, though. She'll grind in the clinch. She'll stay busy in there, dirty boxing. Uh, I would say she's a good wrestler, but I think it's actually like a little overstated, her wrestling. Um, she really struggles to stop takedowns. I mean, she was, she gave up seven takedowns to Laura Procopio and, and five takedowns to, to Leah Santos. And if you put her on her back, she um, she really struggled to get off. Um, like Santos looked like a bruising jitsu black belt, like a high level, looked like freaking Gordon Ryan out there or something against her. She's got good cardio, though. Like, she's going to work the entire 50 minutes. She's going to be in your face. Uh, move over to Carolina. Oh, man. Carolina, long and lengthy outboxer. She's an experienced Muay Thai practitioner. She likes. Lots of range strikes, long jab, teep kicks. She has hard leg kicks. She's good in the plum, but she's the offensive initiator because she can use her height to kind of hold and frame, uh, hold on the back of that frame, land some good shots. She's good at blasting these inside. She's got really weak takedown defense, like really bad. Though, to her credit, her takedown defense looks so much better against uh, Gardinez. But as you just mentioned, she was way too big for Godinez. She looked like she had 30 pounds on her. And remember, that was the fight where, like, Godinez took the fight, like, right back. She was, like, falling, like, fought, like I think it was, was it the very next card she fought. Like, she fought, and then a week later, she fought again. Or it was, it was, it was, it was uh, 
10 days or something. It, it was because it, right? it was it was right up against uh, Hamzat Shemaev's record where she would okay. have broken the record for consecutive wins if she'd won both of them. But she oh, did okay. break the record for consecutive appearances. Yeah. Uh, so as far as prediction goes, this is a really tough call. Like McCann definitely has a style to beat Carolina. Um, stylistically, when I, when I think about it, I should be taking McCann. But Carolina is the better athlete. She's also more technically sound on the feet. And it just it comes down to me whether she has improved that takedown defense. Was, was it because of the size of it? Or did she come up with something technical? And I feel like that's the one thing that's stopping her from being a much better fighter. Well, McCann, we've seen her sailing. Like, I don't know if we've seen the sailing of Carolina. Uh, and I think Carolina could have a much higher sailing if she can show me some grappling. So I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for that. So I say she stops some of uh, I think I think she's going to show that it wasn't just her size, man. She's going to stop some takedowns, land the cleanest shots. You meet Carolina by decision. I, I like the breakdown there. This is going to be our first point of dissension this evening. And the reason I'm going to go with McCann by decision is her secret weapon is going to be the 12 or 15,000 people in the O2 arena, where I have the feeling that Carolina is going to have to really, really put her stamp on rounds to win rounds against McCann. Uh, like, I can see this being the fight where pretty much everybody scores at 29 28 Carolina like in the media and then we get a splitter for McCann where like one of them is 30 27 McCann this has this has that kind of thing written all over it for me uh you will occasionally predict a fight to be won by split decision you know just as your indicator that it's going to be a close fight and the kind of fight where individual rounds are controversial i'm going that way here uh i could see Carolina like me thinking she won two rounds, and again, one of the judges giving McCann all three rounds because this crowd is just going to pop for everything she does and not really sell anything Carolina does unless she's like really close to finishing the fight. Uh, nonetheless, I agree with you that Carolina has more upside at this point, but hey, anything that keeps Meatball Molly around the UFC for a couple more fights uh, is A-OK -okay with me. Next up, we have Bantamweights as Jack Shore takes on Timur Valiev. Sure, the 27-year-old Welshman is a perfect 15-0 as a professional. He is 4-0 since joining the UFC as the outgoing Cage Warriors Bantamweight champ. Uh, his most recent win was last September at UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Till. Again, the what should have been UFC London, but was UFC Vegas 36. There he beat Ludwig Shalinian by unanimous decision. Prior to that, he had beaten Hunter Azure, uh, Aaron Phillips, and Noelina Hernandez in the UFC. He'll be taking on Valiev. The 32-year-old Dagestani is 18-2 and two with one no contest in his uh, professional mixed martial arts career. Uh, he is 2-0 and oh with one no contest in the UFC. That one no contest was him getting splattered by Trevin Jones, who stepped up on short notice. Unfortunately for Jones, it was too short notice to drink some detox tea and get the traces of marijuana out of his system, which is why that is a no contest now. There is no word as to why or whether or not that is how Tamur Valiev got his nickname Lucky, but you know, lucky it is that he doesn't have an official loss on his record. Uh, this, frankly, this is the second highest level fight on the entire card to me. Like south of Volkov and Aspinall, where it's a top 10 guy, I mean, two top 10 guys, really. Uh, 
this is I think this is the next highest level fight on the card. I mean, you can oh, argue that Krillin versus Craig is. What's that? Well, Hooker and Arnold. Well, Hooker at featherweight, absolutely. Okay. Hooker's three. Hooker's three and three is a featherweight, and he hasn't fought there in like three years. Yeah, like this is definitely higher level than that to me. Man, uh, hate that, hate that Dan I'm, I'm not hating on him yet. If he misses weight, like uh, all bets are off. Yeah, but, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. yeah, but the honestly, the next closest contestant to me is Krillov versus Craig, where it's probably a top ten against probably a top fifteen guy, but. Regardless, I mean, that's my overstated way of saying I can't believe this fight is either sixth or third on this card, depending on whose bout order you believe, because this thing is this thing is monstrous. Uh, yeah. And Valiev is a moderate favorite here. Just, you know, it's not often that you see somebody who is undefeated, like who is like favored to get his first defeat. But yeah, Valiev minus 175, sure, plus 140 wow. uh, as that. of you know, as of Monday of fight week. However, as uh, fight week powers along, British money is going to come in on shore. So if you believe in Valiev, wait. That's that's my only betting advice. Like, if you like the, the guy fighting the Welshman, then give give the odds a, a minute to move. Uh, Keith, you, you seem to be digging in your heels a little bit against me calling this the second best fight on this card. But... I know you love the fight, so talk to me about it. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It, it wasn't even like I was fighting against it. I was just kind of asked. I, I honestly, I just thought you forgot about Hooker versus Arnold. That's why I, I was just throwing that out there. No, man, I, I love this fight. I mean, I love it and hate it. I love it because these two yeah. guys are both they're they're top fifteen talents. I mean, the winner of this one is is just going to be a, like skyrocketing up the rankings and and promising, and especially if one of them destroys the other one you know you, you mentioned that valley is a negative 175 favorite like i'm shocked by that not 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 i'm shocked by his talent i'm just shocked by like the disrespect is jack Shaw was really good jack Shaw was really good i mean yeah. these two guys i'm you said you love it and you hate it i assume you hate it just because two prospects this good are, are meeting and it's early enough that it's there aren't immediate title implications on the line. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of like the the Steve Mowry versus Tyrell Fortune of yeah. UFC London. Yeah, we already had that side talk earlier. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. I just, I just like really I like both guys. So, um, and like Jack Shaw also has like they have a, he has a cult following in England. Like the people have tattoos of Jack Shaw's on fire, which which was cool when I was doing a preview of him before he was even in the UFC. Um, yeah, I think I think you want to talk me into this being the the, the second best fight. But, I mean, if we want to just be honest, this might be the best fight on the card. Uh, so Jack Shaw, he's not a great athlete. Like he's, but he, so he, nothing nothing that does you like wild by. But he's so intelligent. Like he knows what he's good at. He's going to get himself in that position. He stalks his foes. He works behind a busy jab. Got good variety of strikes. Both his punches and kicks, kicks to all points of the body. Uh, he loves his leg kicks. He really, as I mentioned uh, earlier, he's a he's a killer instinct. If he gets you hurt, he's gonna swarm you. He's a great wrestler. Uh, fast entries. He's relentless to get takedowns. He chains takedowns together. Like he looks like a much better wrestler than his credentials say. Good body locks. Good at winning scrambles. He has a little bit of like 
Habib's Rocket Mayo control to him, where he'll like take a single limb, you know, pinch down on the elbow, grab a wrist, something to kind of control that one point, keep it pinned on the canvas so he can position himself higher up in the body while this his opponent struggles to get up. Hard ground pound, really slick back takes. He's got eight submission wins, and he's shown he's got the cardio to go hard for all 15 minutes. Now, yeah, so um, I move over to Valiev now. He's he's a complete opposite of Shore in the fact that he's like oozes athleticism. You could see his speed in his fights, man. Like the Trevin Jones fight, like he was attacking Trevin Jones at all points of, of attack, constant pressure, high volume, very technical striker. Uses feints to get his opponents guessing. Um, good variety, both his hands, his kicks. I mean, he, he tore up Trevin Jones with his body work. Great head movement. He has very slip and rip style. Uh, I like that he goes to the, down to the body. Good footwork, both avoiding shots and cutting angles on his attacks. Lots of kicks, deep kicks, calf kicks. He can wrestle really too good. Great entry, great chain wrestling, smothering top control. Uh, so we talked about whether, like, we kind of had a little debate there on how good of it is sure the rankings but actual x's and o's the fight that i'm most interesting is this fight it's um i'm giving a slight lean towards valley and the reason why i'm saying i'm giving him a slight lead is he's the more technically sound fighter um, but he's gonna have to fight his fight like he can't be pressed back by Shaw. and the reason why i'm only saying a slight lean valid has these explosive movements and he's more technically sound everything you would measure a fight by he has it except the thing you can't measure and that's like this like grit and this toughness and this like intelligence that jack shore has that's why i feel like this should be a much closer fight because you can't measure that stuff and if jack shore could force him to kind of fight off his back foot pressing you know pressing the match towards valley that'll really change the fight and he could win uh, but I think Valiev will, will land the better shots on the feet. I'm really looking forward to their, their scrambles. Uh, who's going to win those scrambles? Uh, I'm going to guess that Valiev really makes sure work for those takedowns. And I'm going to say Valiev wins a really close decision. Uh, I wasn't going to go a split decision, but just really close. I see unanimous, but really, really close play. Yeah, I, I love that breakdown. And I, I do love this fight. And while two prospects this good, always I'd, I'd love to see them not face each other until they're both in the top 10 and, you know, at least within a couple fights of the title picture. But here, it's even early enough that if one of them wins and they both continue to pan out like it looks like they're going to, they might meet a couple of years down the road and it would be a rematch that we look forward to. Kind of like, you know, Adesanya versus Vittori. Or, yeah, they met. And, you know, it was a competitive fight, but nobody was saying, well, Vittori shouldn't get another chance at this guy or this fight doesn't matter. Th this could be that kind of fight. Shore is still just 27. It is crazy that a man 27 years old that wasn't yet in the UFC at the time was getting, like, ta people getting tattoos of him. Like, if you're 27 and getting people, like, to tattoo you on them and you're not a dead rock star, that's pretty damn impressive. Like, you need to be like, you know, Kurt Cobain or, you know, you could be like, you know, Biggie or or, or Tupac or something. But, yeah. yeah. Remarkable stuff. As far as the fight itself goes, 
I feel it breaking the same way you do, but I am going to lean Shore here. Just you put it perfectly. Like he's intelligent and relentless, and just fights to his best. Like he's he's never going to give away a fight. The, the day that Jack Shore loses, whether it's this coming Saturday or it's three years from now in his third title defense, someone's going to have to come take it from him. Like, he's never going to give a fight away. Just preternaturally intelligent and has been ever since he was like 23 and still in Cage Warriors. Uh, give me Shore by decision here and should be a real fun battle. I'm interested to see who is the fresher man in the third round because Shore has a very good gas tank, you know, but he's probably going to end up needing to employ a wrestle-heavy uh, approach here, whereas Valiev tends to have a pretty good gas tank as well, but employs a lot more explosive movements. I'm interested to see who has the cardio advantage if and when this goes to the third round. I'm leaning Shore, which as of right now is an upset, but we'll see how that looks in five days. I almost, I, I almost want, even though I picked Valiev, I almost want Shore to win. I think it'd be better for the UFC to show one. There's a, there's a bunch of values. There's a bunch of like star yeah. ones. There's not only a lot of star, you know, English, but or no way. Shores, yeah, he's English. Shores Welsh. Shores Welsh, but I mean, yeah. English yeah. is his native language. Yeah, yeah even, even more. Yeah. I should have mentioned earlier Corey McKenna is the first Welsh woman to win a fight in the UFC. I don't remember if Shore is the first Welsh man to win one in the UFC. Like somebody. You know, might have gotten one before him, but he, he's among the first. Are we still recording? Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for Europeans to kill me for not knowing the difference between Wales and, and England. <laughs> 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 I, uh, shout out to my, uh, I, don't, I don't know if somebody's last name is Ryan. It's spelled F O R T U N E, I think it's Fort, Fortune. I think it's how you say it. Okay. I'm assuming, like, well, he's from Wales. He's a great dude. Uh, he's with me with MMA Takeover. Um, I had to like ask him point to like the whole what's the difference between the UK and uh, Great Britain and I can't explain all the history to me I'd never clue. it's complicated stuff and and then you know there's a whole thing okay what's the relationship of like Dagestan and Chechnya yeah. you know to Russia you know because it used to all just be oh it's the Soviet Union and now you know they're parts of Russia, but they're independent republics. They have their own presidents, but they their yeah. troops are in the Russian army. It's yeah, it's complicated. It's nice that we live in the U.S. where everything's nice and simple, right? You know what? George Washington made it so I don't know about that. Shit. Yeah, when he chopped down that motherfucking cherry tree, he made it so that like <laughs> that our history yeah. and geopolitics would always be very, very simple and easy yeah. to understand. Yeah. The uh, no shout out to all our European listeners. We love you all, especially yes. from the UK. Uh, so this is what we normally do. This is what we normally do between every single show. Yeah. We just keep going and going. Then we we want a whole thing about uh, George Washington and shit. But the only thing we're missing so far is a talk about a bunch of crap that happened in like 2002. But I imagine that will happen when we get to the main event and I talk about how much Tom Aspinall looks like Frank Mir. So I'll give you one. So there was a famous general. Nathan Have you heard of Nathaniel Green? Of course. Oh, okay, I know if you. He lives yeah. right down, like his, like he doesn't, his well, house is right down the road. He, he lives in Coventry, his house was in Coventry, Rhode Island. That's where I live, Coventry. Yeah, I mean, so, Nathaniel uh, Green, the one mile down the road. One of the greatest kind of unsung generals of the American Revolution. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, he was like, I think he was George Washington's like number two guy. 
Uh, he he was for several points, and he also kind of ran other theaters of of the war. For like, I listened to a long podcast on the American Revolution just recently, so got a lot of Nathaniel Green uh, info recently. But yeah, that guy ruled. That's cool. That's cool. You know, hey, yeah. we drive by his house. Like, there's a, it's not like it's not on the main road. Just like there's a main road, and then you can like take a one little turn. So I drive by, like point it out. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, you can take tours and shit. It's cool. Want to talk about Herbert versus Taporia? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. All right. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 204 prelims is a lightweight matchup between Jai Herbert and Ilya Taporia. And, man, the UFC is banking on action in this thing. This is the heaviest fight on the card so far. Like, we're six fights in, and this is the heaviest fight on the card so far, and it's at lightweight. Or seven fights in, and it's it's a lightweight. We're gonna have some some craziness, I think. Yeah. Anyway, Herbert, the 33 year old uh, Brit who goes by the Black Country Banger. Incidentally, here here's your little geographical info of the day. That nickname does not mean that he is black and country. It's not like you know Derek Lewis saying you know I'm 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 black and I'm country. No, the Black Country is the part of Midlands. Uh, you know, in the same general region as Birmingham, where Chai Herbert is from. So he is the banger from the black country. That's uh, that, okay. I'm black, good. black because of coal. I'm not, not, black because, not, not black because he's black. Because when it was named black that, there black. weren't many black people there. Anyway, he is 11 and three overall. He is only one and two in the UFC since joining as a former Cage Warriors lightweight champ. He lost his first two fights against uh, Francisco Trinaldo and Hanato Moicano. Bounce back from those two with a win over Kama Worthy at UFC Fight Night Costa versus Vittori last October. He knocked him out in the first round. Uh, I don't know if it saved his job, but it certainly saved any uh, vestige of his original shine as a prospect because he came in on a six-fight win streak. Again, was a Cage Warriors champ. We're talking about the same Cage Warriors division that people like Conor McGregor had been champion of uh, and then lost his first two. However, if he wants to keep it going, he has a fairly tall order in the form of Ilya Taporia. Uh, Taporia, the 25-year-old uh, Georgian-born, based out of Spain fighter, is a perfect 11-0 overall. He is a perfect 2-0 since joining the UFC. Or sorry, he's uh, 3-0 since joining the UFC out of Brave CF back in early 2020. He has beaten Yusuf Zalal. Damon Jackson and Ryan Hall, those last two, the Jackson and Hall uh, wins, both of them first round knockouts. He moves up to 155 pounds for this one. And despite that, he is a prohibitive favorite here. He is around minus 400. Uh, you can get Herbert around plus 300 as the underdog. Keith, I'm going to turn this over to you, but I, I feel as though Jai Herbert still has a ton of promise, but, you know, having to go up against Francisco Trinaldo in your UFC debut, who is just, I mean, he's one of the most grizzled veterans in the UFC. Yeah. He, and one of the hardest fighters in the UFC to look good against, win or lose. And then Hanato Moicano, who, you know, still capable of capturing lightning in a bottle and still very dangerous on the ground. He's just yeah. had a, a rough run. And here he's, a three to one underdog against 
just another monster in Taporia if he doesn't want to go one and three in his first four fights in the UFC. How does this one play out? And do you still see upside in Herbert? Yeah, dude, I'm 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 so glad you mentioned it. That literally was my first note. That somebody in the UFC hates Jai Herbert because starting off your UFC career as Francisco Trinaldo, Hanato Moicano, Kama Worthy, who's not an easy foe either, and then Ilya Taporia. I mean, jeez. It's like, what the hell? Like, what did Jai Herbert do to the the UFC matchmakers? Uh, he, so I like Jai Herbert. I think he's a good fighter. He's he's a long and lengthy striker, good footwork. He uses lots of movement to attempt attempt to keep the distance. He wants to work from range, lots of jabs, nice snap on his power shots. His straight right is accurate. He's got good power. If you, if, if you crowd the pocket on him, he, he changes up. He looks like slicing inside elbows. Uh, has nine career knockouts. Even in like recent losses, he drops Trinaldo in that fight. He put Kama Worthy out. He's an underrated wrestler. He, uh, um, even though UFC stats don't show, he did take down Trinaldo. He's got some. I went back to like the regional scene. He's got some really slick back takes. Uh, he uses his long legs to lock up body triangles. He's a weak defensive wrestler. Um, and, it's, and like you go back to the Mike Connell fight, Mike Connell dominated with his grappling. But overall, like overall, he's a pretty good talent. Now move over to Taporia. Um, the first thing I'm worried about, we talk about Dan Hooker. I'm also worried about Taporia. I mean, he was removed from his last fight due to a botched weight cut. Uh, but in the cage, he's fantastic. He's a well-rounded. He's a. I mean, are you glad he's moving up to 155 here, win or lose? Oh yeah. Do you think this, you think yeah, this is the spot for him? Okay. Well, yeah. When guys miss weight, yeah. What I'm worried about is when guys miss weight. It, it, it like it happens a lot. Like these guys who miss like multiple weight, like John Lineker and and uh, Kelvin Gastelum and, John, sure. and Johnny Hendricks. And uh, I'm not saying this. I mean, this guy's 25, so a lot of it could just be growing. So I just I, just, I want to point that out there. So and and I know this the people who love Zaporia is gonna like kill me for even mentioning his weight cut. I love Zaporia. Like just I want to make that I was like I'm as big of a Zaporia fan as there is. Like. His talent is incredible. I mean, he's well-rounded. He's uh, he's very accurate a striker. He he gets into when he jumps into range, he unloads with hard hooks. I love his overhand right. He's got huge power. He, I love that he will set up his power shots by going to the body first. That he sets him up, works the body, understands the, you know, you crush the body, then the head's going to open up. You're going to knock, get the knockout. He's a very very good wrestler. He's got a Greco-Roman background. Incredible hip patrol. Go back to like the Yusuf Salal fight where he suplexed Salal. Uh, he's a presented to black belt. He looks to advance position. Uh, he's a submission threat. Very aggressive to get subs. He loves like the head attacks, the Darces, your Anacondas, your guillotines. Uh, he loves that top side guillotine. He, sh- he showed how elite his grappling is against Ryan Hall. I mean, he didn't get submitted by Ryan Hall. He was winning the grappling against Ryan Hall uh, before destroying him with heavy ground and pound in that fight, too. So, as far as prediction goes, I like Herbert a lot, but Tepori is just on a whole different level. Uh, you mentioned uh, not cutting weight as much. Obviously, I think that's going to be a good thing. Uh, Tepori is elite. I think he's going to slide in the pocket. I think he's going to land power shots. And then he's going to follow that up with takedowns, hard ground and pound. Uh, and I think he's actually might get a submission. I think he's going to land some ground and pound and then, get, and then you know, uh, Herbert might give up his back. Tapori locks in the submission. Give me Tapori by second round. So, 
I I like the breakdown there. I also am glad that Taporia is moving up to lightweight. I mean, for one thing, regardless of how he does competitively, I would much rather see somebody lose more fights at a weight class where their kidneys don't fail and they don't die. Like, you know, to the to the point that you can be safe or as safe as possible in a sport that's about giving each other brain damage, safety first. So, uh, but weird thing about Taporia, like the Sherdog Fight Finder has him listed at 5'8". The UFC has him listed at 5'7". He always feels taller than that to me in the cage. Like, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just very surprising. Because if he really is 5'7", he's one of the very shortest lightweights in the UFC right now. And it doesn't seem that way. So I'm interested to see Taporia, you know, facing off at weigh-ins and in the cage with Jai Herbert, who does legit appear to be six foot one. But... And oh, and I should correct myself. I said Georgian born. No, he's born in Germany, ethnically Georgian, has lived and fought out of Spain for for years. So anyway, again, so that our European contingent doesn't come get me too. Like yeah, all, 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 your, all your hate for Keith. All, all your hate yeah, for they're Keith. gonna get they're gonna give you shit for messing up the country. Me for talking about missing weight. We're, <laughs> We're both picking him to win. I know you're picking him to win. Yeah, uh, I'm picking him to win. Uh, and you, you pointed out that. It's not just that he beat Ryan Hall, but he just completely no-sold Hall's attempts. Like, you know, when he went to the ground, Hall started doing Hall things. You know, he goes for, you know, like for his 50-50 position. He starts grabbing your legs where, you know, most fighters are like, oh, oh shit, what's he doing? And at least they pause. And Deporey didn't even pause. He was just looking for opportunities to continue punching Hall in the face. It was savage. Like, I picked Hall to beat Deporey. I knew it was a... I mean, Hall was a plus 400 underdog for a reason. It was a flyer, but Taporia made it look elementary. Uh, I think that he, the safety valve here is even if Herbert is able to give him stuff on the feet that he doesn't like, you know, even if Herbert really does have a substantial advantage in reach, and he, when he has the advantage in reach, he does tend to try to use it to his best advantage in the stand-up. I think Tapori is going to be able to get takedowns pretty much at will against Herbert. Just not a great defensive wrestler. Tapori is a good offensive wrestler uh, and good at finishing takedowns in dominant positions. You know, like the the typical Tapori takedown doesn't end with him kind of kneeling over the guy who's sitting on his butt at the edge of the fence and you're in this kind of stalemate position for the next two minutes. Taporia takes people down and like slams them down and he's inside control, you know, or already moving towards the back. That's what this is going to look like. And so even though I think Herbert still has upside in the UFC, I don't know if he's a top 10 guy anymore. You know, coming in out of cage warriors, I would have said this guy's probably going to at least reach the top 10 at some point. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but this is just this is a bad fight for him to try to keep any sort of momentum going. Uh, give me Taporia by second round finish on the ground somehow. Uh, I'm going to say submission, but if he just pounds him out down there, I, I wouldn't be too surprised either. What method of victory did you have? Um, third round submission. Thank you. This is that's another one of those fights. Like, I mean, I. I guess there's only so many fights you can have on the main card. Like, I get that. But another one, like, Taporia is really good. Like, he should be much higher. Agreed. Uh, Taporia is yeah. fantastic. Like, all the Georgian, whatever, I understand. Yeah. Georgian, but, like, all of them are great. Yeah. 
and for like such a small country, this is me kissing mm-hmm. because I know we're recording. This is me kissing their ass after we just bashed. It. <laughs> but for like a small country, they like dominant in, in combat sports. Really dominant. <laughs> you remember like the blown weight cut last time that got him scratched from that card. You remember what the fight was going to be, right? It's Charles Jordan, right? No, it was him versus Mozart Evloev. And we were like, please no, no, no. don't let this. No, then Evloev dropped out. And then Jordan took it on short notice. Oh. Like, Jordan took it like in like a week's notice. Okay. And we, oh, were that's, like, okay. we were all going crazy. Like, oh my God, look at the balls in that guy. Like, you yeah. can't let it. Nobody wants to fight. You take it on short notice. And then he's the one that makes the way. Right, right. Taporia uh, scratches. Yeah. And Jordan's the guy that's uh, Instagramming pictures of himself in the hotel lobby in his trunk saying, hey, I'm on weight. Yeah. You know. No, you're at, I just remember being super glad that the Evloyev Tapuria fight fell off because that fight, when it happens, that thing should be a title eliminator two years from now. Yeah, Although I they're, agree. I get, I mean, they're probably not going to be in the same weight class anymore because Evloyev no, probably isn't going to move up. Yeah, yeah. Like when they say Evloyev is five seven, I believe it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I think you might think Tapuria is bigger because of like he's. He's a ripped up dude too. Like he's he's got like big muscles and big shoulders. And, you know what I mean? He's ri- that's probably it. I, I've never been in the same room as him. Like he's never been at any card I've covered live or or anything. So that that might be it. I wonder how tall. How tall is Dustin Poirier? Because I've I've met him. And he's Dustin huge. Poirier. He's he's five nine. He is just dead on same height as me. He's all these like thick dudes. Like you he see is. him and you're like, how the hell does this guy make one fifty five? How many, how did he make one forty five back in the WEC days? And yeah. the answer is not easily, and it wasn't to his best advantage. I can't imagine what Dan Hook is going through right now. That guy's, I mean, that guy looks like a freaking middleweight. Yeah, he, Hooker is huge. Like, I have been in the same room as Dan Hooker, and he is huge. Yeah, r- I've ridiculous. I've been with Hookers, but not Dan Hooker. <laughs> and this time, it's not because I don't want to talk about Nikita Krilov versus Paul Craig. I do want to talk about it. It's just right. I, I had to get that off my chest. Uh, shall shall we move on? Next up, this might be the prelims headliner. I mean, it's a fight night card, so it doesn't make a huge difference. You know, at worst, you have to move back in your ESPN plus window and open another one. Anyway, it's a light heavyweight matchup between Nikita Krylov and Paul Craig. Krylov, the 30-year-old Ukrainian uh, who trains out of Russia, and I'll I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, 30 years old, he's 27 and eight overall. He is eight and six overall in the UFC across two different stints in the UFC. He's two and three in his current run in the UFC. Uh, and of that eight and six, he's seven and five at light heavyweight. His first two fights in the UFC were at heavyweight. So that's a lot of complicated kind of stats. What you want to know is he is one and two in his last three, but the losses have been to Glover Teixeira and Magomed Ankalaev, the win in between was over Johnny Walker. So he's one and two in the last two years or so, but it's against high-level competition. He's taking on Craig. The 34-year-old Scott is 15-4-1 overall. He is 7-4-1 in the UFC. He is on a five-fight unbeaten streak that includes four wins and a draw with Mauricio Shogun Hua. He is on a three-fight win streak. Those three a uh, submission win over Gaji Murad on Tegulov, a TKO by tapping the strikes in the rematch with Shogun, and then a the arm-snapping win over Jamal Hill at UFC 263 last June, where 
referee Al Guinea did not see where Hill's arm had been torqued, so let the fight go on. Hill kind of went into turtle mode, understandably, and Craig ended up punching him out. Otherwise, could have been a technical submission. Anyway, that's three finishes in a row. Uh, man, let me get the odds out before I hold forth on this. Krilov is a slight favorite here. He's minus 175, Craig plus 145. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that this is a matchup between two of the unlikeliest light heavyweight contenders I can think of in the UFC in the last 10 years. The only other unlikeliest contender I can think of would be Anthony Smith, yeah, a guy that, you know, 10 years ago, I'm like, like, okay, you're telling me that this 168 pound guy that just lost to Josh yeah. Neer in a barn yeah. in Iowa is going to be fighting John Jones yeah. for the UFC light heavyweight title four years from now? Get the fuck out <laughs> of here. And I really could have got a win. If he, yeah. if he wasn't Anthony Smith, then he was. If he, he wasn't Anthony other, Smith. Yeah, if he, he didn't have character, he, he could have got a DQ win. Um, like, there you go. Just if you I, stay I down. A, I get a very unlikely challenger or, or top light heavyweight. You got Not that they are, but at this time, it's unlikely. And that's the current champion, Glover the Sheriff. I don't think anybody expected him to still be winning at this point in his career. You know what? That's the perfect example. Like, nine years ago when he was having visa issues and, like, he'd been living in Connecticut for 10 years, but he had to go back to brazil for a year and get his visa fix then came back and he was fighting at 230 pounds in the middle of nowhere because he couldn't fight in the u.s there's no way you could have told me he was gonna be the ufc light heavyweight champ in 2022 now, i'm talking about like a couple years ago when alexander gustafson is knocking him brutally knocking him out and he looks washed up looking slow and washed up okay okay no you're you're absolutely right and it it seemed like the unlikeliest and most impossible thing until it snuck up on us and all of a sudden, holy cow. And even then, it's like, well, you know what? He's 41. We should just give him his title shot so he can swing off into the sunset and he at least fought for a title. It was almost like, like we were asking the UFC to do the man a charity and all of a sudden he just stomps Yambo He destroyed him. It wasn't even a close match. Like, that's, that's it. Like, of course we have a couple of unlikely challengers because... It is the unlikely division. Very, very good call on Teixeira there. Used, used to be the glamour division, too. Used to be the glamour division. Yeah, that's the secret about light heavyweight. It's always been a terrible division. Just usually they, they hide that under some nice sauce on top because there are a couple of superstars up there. But, man, because the thing is, how no, differently would we think? at one time it was really, like, at, at the, the, like the peak of the UFC versus Pride days, it was the best division in MMA. I mean, at least name-wise, when you had like Vandalay Silver and Shogun and Sakuraba and and Kato Rona and Little Nog and Dallas Overy and Vito Belfort and Igor Bochanchin, Dean Lister. Then you had yeah. the USC with Kotor and and uh, Ortiz and Liddell and who else? Was Randleman was in there. Mark Coleman at one point made 205. I mean, oh, well, he was doing that as late as like 2011. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure forgetting other people. But even then, like, if you looked at, like, the number 10 light heavyweight in the UFC, you're like, really? That dude was top 10? Like, there was still not a ton of depth. Yeah, yeah. You know, and part of that is because the top talent was split, and frankly, it was split with two-thirds of it in pride. You know, yeah, yeah. once the UFC absorbed pride in 2007 and kind of brought it all under one roof, it was a hell of a division, obviously. You know, we uh, 
yeah. Anyway, off track. All I'm trying to say is I didn't think Paul Craig and Nikita Krylov would be uh, top 10 contenders fighting each other in 2022. I and didn't think Paul Craig would still be in the UFC in 2022. No. And, and now he's in the rankings. He's in the rankings. So. And it's not even like the old, the old jokes, the old punchlines about both these guys no longer really hold true anymore. Because the thing about Craig was, well... He's going to get his ass kicked, and then he's either going to pull out a last-minute sub or he won't. But these days, that's not it anymore. Like, if he was going to beat Jamal Hill, I would have guessed that it's one of those where Hill just thrashes him, gets maybe like a 10-8 round somewhere, and then Craig just snatches something out of nowhere in the last minute of the fight. But no, Craig took it to him from the beginning. In the rematch with Shogun, he busted Shogun up on the feet. And yeah, it's the ghost of Shogun, but like the ghost of Shogun is still generally take, capable of taking care of himself on, on the feet. And Craig just beat the crap out of him. Like he's not the Hail Mary guy anymore. He's an, on a five fight unbeaten streak. And Jamal Hill is a top 10 quality guy. It's it's something, man. Uh, and then Nikita Krylov. I mean, you're an old Jordan Breen show head yourself. He was Jordan's favorite guy to laugh out for the longest time because when he started in the UFC, his fight finder picture was him standing in a trench coat with UFC gloves on back when he wasn't in the UFC yet, calling himself the fighting Al Capone. And he, you remember this, he debuted against Soa Palele in one of the worst fights I've ever seen. Like his first two fights in the UFC, I think it was Soa Palele and Walt Harris, you know, and he was just, he was terrible. And then even after that, when he cut to one, to 205, he became a guy with tons of potential that was just capable of losing a fight in horrible and stupid ways at any moment. Like, of course, he was the first guy to get uh, Von Prude. Like, he's the guy that the, the original, you know, Open St. Prue, Von Prude choke was on because he's exactly the guy that's just going to find a weird way to lose a fight. He's not that anymore. All of a sudden, it's not as fun, but he is a perfect gatekeeper to the top 10 in, you know, he's two and three in his most recent run in the UFC, but the losses are to Jan Blachowicz, Glover Teixeira, and Magomed and Kalaev. If I told you that those are the top three light heavyweights in the division right now, you might not agree with me, but you wouldn't laugh. It's very possible that those are the three best guys in the division. And the two guys he's beaten, Johnny Walker, who, I mean, he's, he's falling from grace now, but at the time he was top 15 and Ovin St. Prue, who, in April 2019 was top 15. Oh, one at the time, yeah. Yeah, like that. You that's know, that's who. You know the most surprising thing about Paul Craig is him and Jamal Hill fought. Paul Craig mangled Jamal Hill's arm, and Jamal Hill returned before Paul Craig did. How surprising is that? That is pretty surprising. <laughs> that's it. That's all. My, I mean, Krilov is what he is as a fighter at this point. Um, he's a very aggressive striker, likes to throw lots of kicks. Um, he has good power. He's a good offensive grappler, but I cringe every time I see him go down there because his, it, that's the one place where his fight IQ is not improved. He gets in terrible positions on the floor. Like I know he and Ovin St. Prue have fought twice already. And if they fight again, Krilov would be like a four to one favorite, but I still wouldn't be putting Von Pruchok out of, the question because he's just the kind of guy that would hold on to a guillotine too long as a guy like moves over to to side mount and that's that's bad news against craig 
you know, uh, Craig is a huge light heavyweight. He's slow on his feet. His hands are kind of slow. Uh, decent, decent power. I would say Krilov has more pure power. I expect Krilov to get the better of the striking. Like I, I think he, I think he's faster. I think he hits harder. Uh, neither of them is super defensively sound, but I think Krilov is probably a little more defensively sound on the feet. But the big equalizer to me is this fight is going to end up on the ground at some point. And when it gets to the ground, I trust Craig and I don't trust Krilov. So even though Krilov is the favorite, and even though Krilov could easily win this thing by knockout in four minutes and it never goes to the ground, I'm not willing to bet on that as the main chance. So give me Paul Craig, I'm going to say by second round submission, and it's probably going to be in a fight that Krilov was doing very well up until he wasn't. Yeah, that's exactly if Craig wins, that's exactly how it's going, and that's probably the way you should make a pick. Um, <laughs> this is this is just a, you saying that, that, that you're not going to make that pick. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and, um, Paul Craig is I don't know, I can't read either one of these guys if I'm being honest. Like, I feel like I do pretty well at reading uh fighters. I, you know, obviously, I don't, I don't make the best picks, I, there's guys better out there than I am, but. I don't know if anybody else went 14 0 last week. But other than that, <laughs> um, uh, so Paul Craig, like he's this massive light heavyweight. He, I mean, he really looks like a heavyweight. He's his boxing is like so raw. It's the only way that I can describe it. Like a lot of arm punches, keeps his chin high in the air, just asking to be knocked out. Uh, he does. He does throw a lot of long range kicks, but I like. And the reason why I like it, obviously, one of them is the kicks was their damage, but more, more so, is that he'll throw kicks. Hoping that his opponent catches it, takes it down, and and puts him in his guard. Like he's a guy who likes to, like, like his favorite position is being on his back and guard, which it's such a throwback in MMA because, like, Randy Couture said something once that like, yeah, BJJ is dead, and and a lot of people got pissed off. And obviously, I think Randy was talking in a very broad sense in that. And I think he more was talking about the sense of the old BJJ guy coming in and destroying everyone. And it was more of a, everybody does BJJ now. So it wasn't like you saying it was dead in the sense that it doesn't work. It was more, it, it's equalized because everybody knows he's submissioning now. If that makes sense. Like, I think it was almost like kind of complimenting it in a, in a really backwards way. But Craig is that throwback guy who like pulls guard. If he can't get the fight to the ground, he'll pull guard. Uh, he obviously is sufficient right. It subs off his back. Terrible takedown defense. But again, like I don't know if he's even trying to stop takedown. But the thing about him, he gets these submissions, but I still don't look at him as this like dominant elite grappler. Uh, which is I don't know, maybe I, I need to start giving him more credit than I do. And that's what I'm saying. I know I read this guy wrong because he's gotten wins and subs over some really good people and winning. Uh Krylo, is another guy that I just don't have a read on. I mean, he's so hard to grasp because he's so inconsistent. One fight, he looks like a title challenger. The next fight, he looks like a bum. So I don't know what you're going to get. I mean, he's he's athletic. He's pretty well-rounded. Good. Let me ask you one, one yeah. thing real quick. Like, you have a hard time getting a handle on him. So do I. He just turned 30 last week. Considering how long he's been in the UFC, like he debuted when he was like 21 yeah. Is it possible that he's not even reached his final form yet? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's a light heavyweight and he's he's barely 30. Yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that, you know, it's not heavyweight where you're going to be like really old, but that's an older division, generally speaking. Than, Glover than, Teixeira. Yeah, there you go. They're the champions. And Jan Blahovic is 38. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And how old is Glover? 
42. Two. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's probably the, let's hear it for the second best athlete. He's 42 years old. Yeah. Besides, I have to throw out there, my boy. Newly, re- newly did his MMA retirement, returning Tom Brady. Uh, uh, back to back to uh, this fight. Uh, so, I mean, Krylov, he's like I said, he rode on. He, he moves well. He's got good footwork. He's got some pretty fast hands. You mentioned he's got good output. He's fun, uh, but he makes mistakes of dropping his hands, especially as the fight goes deeper. A lot of kicks. He's in. It's inconsistent. He is on the feet. I'm glad you mentioned him on the ground. He's even more inconsistent on the ground. Like he's a solid wrestler. He'll get good entries, good takedowns. In one fight, and the next fight, he's getting easily out grappled by uh, by oh I, I, I saw OSB and I almost said GSB. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he would out grapple him too. Uh, OSB like took him down at one point. OSB mounted him, uh, and that oh. was the funny. And that's the fun that he won. That's oh, he won, and, and it's just because OSP's cardio was like the worst cardio ever seen in a non heavyweight fight. Yeah, and he's also like a very uh, inconsistent fighter himself. Yeah, but then he has 15 career submissions. Uh, Krylov, he almost submitted Glover to Shara. So, uh, it, to his credit, he's got a pretty good get-up game. We get um, in one fight, and the next fight he gets like stuck on the bottom for like three minutes straight. So, I have no idea. This fight, this fight is tough. Krylov is so inconsistent, and I've counted out Craig so many times. That said, I'm picking Krylov. He is the better wrestler. He should be the one on top, and. You mentioned he's 29. Like he's not a finished product. He's gonna have to avoid submission attempts. He'll probably, I don't know. He'll probably like knowing Krylov. He'll probably like winning the fight, be a minute away from securing the win, and then like drop down like a heel hook to give Craig a position, or or it's 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 one round each, and he's on top, and he uh, Sorel Gons goes for a heel hook to get to, to get to give up the position. I don't know, but. Uh, against my better judgment, I'm taking Krylov by decision. There you go. Some dissension where neither of us is super comfortable with this pick. Oh, the other thing I just wanted to mention, uh, obviously there's a ton going on with Ukrainian and Russian fighters. Like, are they going to make it to the fights? Like, are they going to say something on the mic afterwards? Like, are they going to wave their flag? Uh, What I was going to say about Krylov is he is Ukrainian born and like very proudly so. Like his nickname is no longer Al Capone. It's now the Miner, and it's speaking about his father and grandfather being miners in the Ukraine. But he's lived and trained in Russia for the longest time. Like he trains with a Russian team, and there's a very easily findable photo of him on Google, like an official UFC photo taken, you know, in front of their gray background, where he's holding Russian and Ukrainian flags behind him. The interesting thing is that the UFC and their uh, stuff leading up to this, they have no flag next to him. And I wonder, I, I, I'm I'm guessing that that's his, at his own request because other Ukrainian fighters have had the Ukrainian flag. All these Dagestanis have had the Russian flag. I wonder if in Krylov's case, it's just because living in Russia, he doesn't want to have the Ukrainian flag up there just at risk of, you know. And he's living in Russia right now. Like he's yeah, 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 he lives and trains in, in Russia. So, I'm not criticizing it at all. I understand it completely. Like, you know, if... Like, what a terrible, like, just... It's, like, it is terrible. It's terrible. Like, something we, like, we're privileged. And most of the world, we're privileged to not even be close to experiences. Like, all right, for example, here's a perfect example. I'm married. You know I'm married to a Canadian. My, yeah. my wife was born and raised in Canada. She went down to college down here. That's how we met each other. And we got married. And 
she recently became an American citizen, but I mean, like she's still Canadian, like her entire family. She's the only one in her family down here. She's going up, we went up for Christmas. She's going up in April. Like I couldn't imagine if Canada and America got into a war and suddenly her family's our enemy and, and vice versa. Oh, sure. my, wife, well, my wife is an enemy now. Or, she oh, and I, if your wife had like a Canadian flag thing on her desk at work, would she like yeah. take that thing down quietly? Which is what yeah. I feel about Krylov. You yeah. know, it's 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 just a. I mean, I'm not picking a side. I mean, I don't I don't know. I, I don't follow this enough. I probably should. Um, it's just a te- it's just just terrible in general. It's it, and innocent people. It's it's just terrible. Yeah, I mean, I I'm comfortable saying I'm on the side of this. This should not be happening right now. Yeah, me too. I I'm on that side. Like I just don't know enough about. I honestly I don't know what they're fighting about. I, I know that sounds terrible. I and the the answer to that is going to vary based on whom you ask, which is yeah, course, definitely sure. too yeah. long a side conversation for the preview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think I think anybody could say war is always terrible. So, um, yeah. And what a perfect lead into talking about a fight between two Russians. You ready for uh, Abdurakhimov versus Pavlovich? Yeah. Next up at UFC Fight Night 204 is a heavyweight matchup between Shamil Abdurakhimov and Sergei Pavlovich. Abdurakhimov, the 40-year-old Dagestani, is 20-6 and six overall. He is 5-4 and four in the UFC. He is on a two-fight losing streak, uh, those two being against Curtis Blades and most recently against Chris Dawkins. Uh, Dawkins knocked him out in the second round at UFC 266 last September. The Blades loss was a full two years before that. Like, he fought in 2019, got mauled by Blades, took two full years off, came back last year at age, I think he was 39 at the time, lost to Dawkins. So, uh, you know, he's looking to stop a three-fight skid from happening. It's worth noting that before that, he was on a three-fight win streak. He'd beaten Chase Sherman, Andre Arlovsky, and Martin Tybura. And Arlovsky in 2018 was still a very credible win, and Tybura in 2019 was, I mean, Tybura was and is a, a top-10 quality fighter. Uh, but yeah, he's he's been in rough shape of late, and now he gets to try to turn it around against I certainly think one of the more impressive prospects in the division in Pavlovich. Uh, Pavlovich, the 29-year-old Russian, is 14 and one overall. He is uh, two and one in the UFC. He lost his debut uh, to Alistair Overeem. You know, he came in as a highly touted uh, Russian prospect. Like he is, he's Russian, but you know, came from uh, Eagle, like uh, Eagles MMA. Like he was a uh, Abdulmanap Nurmagomedov guy and got beat by Overeem was kind of one of those last reminders of, oh yeah, Alistair Overeem's like top game is actually even scarier than his striking. Oh, uh, or just Overeem just, just pounded the shit out of him at the base of the cage. Yeah. Uh, since then, he's had two straight first round knockouts over uh, Marcelo Golm and Maurice Green. Both of those took about a minute apiece. He is coming back for the first time in over two years, uh, the green win was back in October of 2019. Well, it was over Maurice Green. That's all you need to know about how long ago it was. Uh, despite the long layoff, he is a strong favorite here. He's minus 300. Abdurakhimov plus 240 as the underdog. Keith, I'm definitely going to throw this t- to you first, but I remember once upon a time thinking that Shamil Abdurakhimov was 
a sneaky high ceiling guy in the UFC heavyweight division, even though he was already in his late thirties. I'm like, it's not like being 37 matters here. <laughs> and this guy's not losing to anybody. I could see him like even sneaking his way to a title shot. And it all seems to have gone off a cliff. Does Derek he get Lewis. it turned around ever? <laughs> and does he get it turned around to get Sergey Pavlovich? Yeah. Derek Lewis ruined all that. Um, yeah. Derek. Derek. <laughs> yeah. I think that's hard to believe at this point. I mean, he's had some, he's had some uh, big losses since then. He looks some really looked bad recently too um yeah so the things about after him and the he just said he's a big burly dude but the one thing about him he's surprisingly deceivingly good movement for like when you look at his physique he has like a very tim sylvia type body but he moves well he's really light on his feet but like for a guy who's big he's a point fighter uh not a lot of power he throws long shots from the outside tend to be single shots uh he likes his like fade back uppercuts which don't really land for him uh he can clinch and and, and grind in the clinch and that's probably one of his better positions but uh and if he's taking it down he he does do well to work back to his feet but he has and he has four career subs which he, he's a bigger um submission threat that he's known for now move over to pavlovich pavlovich is the guy that like we talk about guys off for a long time. Like I completely forgot about him. And like you mentioned, he's he's one of the better guys in the division. Like um, I do we know what what was he was it just COVID? Like why was he out for so long? Do we know? I don't remember all the reasons. I'm trying to remember I whether he, he was a visa issue in there somewhere. I know that. Like he was he was booked against somebody like I feel like he was booked against somebody good. And then yeah, let me let me uh, take a look here while you talk about his skills. Yeah, I mean yeah. he's had he had a, a fight with Surreal Gone canceled in 2020, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh, a fight with Aspinall in 2021 that was for that card that was supposed to be in London and ended up being in Vegas, and then uh, Tanner Bowser in December, and all of them were canceled. Uh, yeah. So yeah, talk about that. So uh, somehow he found a way to not fight Surreal Gone and not fight. Tom Aspinall, but somehow found a way to fight Samuel Abderrahim. Nice job, uh, Sergey Pavlovich. Good job. Good job. Yeah, it was <laughs> um, visa issues for Pavlovich. Yeah, uh, in it's his weird last how the visa doesn't matter now. But uh, uh, no, just kidding. Uh, yeah, he's he's as you mentioned, he's, he's only twenty nine years old, which is like being like fourteen in heavyweight years. He's he's a good athlete. He's got fast hands, uh, Chris striking. Uh, he really has a, a good right hand. They talked about it in the last, uh, I think it was the Maurice Green. They kept talking about the power in his right hand. I think he actually dropped Maurice Green with the right hand. Um, good power. He doesn't check leg kicks. I don't like. He can go for a takedown, but when he's on top, more of a controlling guy, a ground and pound guy, he, he, he isn't much of a submission threat. And as you mentioned, he showed if you put him on his back, like Alistair Overeem does, um, he struggles. No. He's looked great his last two fights, but the one time he's fought a really high-level guy, he lost. So you really wonder, like, this Alice Overeem, this is a couple years ago, Alice Overeem, is who he's lost to. He's beaten Maurice Green. Like, that's a huge gap. And somewhere in between is uh, Abdel Rahimo. Now, I'm, I'm going to take Pavlovich. He, he's younger, he's faster, he's more explosive. And I don't just I don't trust Abrahimov. He looked a little slower against Chris Dawkins. His chin might be gone. He was knocked out pretty quickly. Uh, I feel like 
Pavlich moves similar to what Chris Dawkins does. Like they're both probably like the plusser athletes in the division. Uh, so I'm going to say Pavlich kind of has his like kind of coming out party. And I think he finds a chance and he wins that first round knockout. Yeah, I, I'm with you here. Uh, at his best, it was surprising how nimble and athletic Pavlovich, or sorry, uh, Abdurakimov was in contrast to kind of the balding, burly, barrel-chested guy. But that is slipping. And as you point out, maybe his chin is slipping as well. Blades, uh, you know, like taking him down and mauling him is not that surprising. That's Curtis Blades' game. But that's something that I think Pavlovich could duplicate if he if he wanted. Uh, and then Doc is just catching him just catching the slower man on the feet and hurting him and following up and putting him down. Cause it wasn't like, it wasn't a one shot knockout for Dawkins. Dawkins just stung him with better power and then kept it going and uh, kept following up. That's something that Pavlovich could do as well. Unless he's really fallen off a cliff just in, you know, two years of being on the shelf with visa issues. This is his fight to lose. I, I suspect that he's going to catch Abdurakimov hurt him and put him away early as well. So uh, give me Pavlovich by first round knockout too. Now, what is this nonsense I'm reading about the Jacksonville Jaguars signed Christian Kirk $84 million. Like the Cardinals, like number three wide receiver or something. Wow. It says, I'm reading this, and it says, yeah, I'm on the website, and it pops up like little nuggets on the side, so I click on it, and it said he, if he receives all 84, he'd be the third highest paid receiver in the NFL. What the hell? That's, I, I, didn't even know that, I didn't even think it was good. I mean, I know, you know, the contracts, a lot of them is just the result of timing and needs, but sure, quality on paper, that's... Yeah, and this is not a football yeah. podcast where I, I know where I'm, it's I'm whatever kind of podcast we want it to be. Yeah, I love football. Uh, that's my number two sport. Well, actually, I'd say amateur wrestling for my number two, and football will be my number three. Ah, this week, do you want to know? I can't wait for this weekend. This is the uh, NCAA wrestling kicks off. Oh, it's a piece. So when when you watch the NCAA's now, as I do, how much of it, it for you is? appreciation of the art and how much of it is like scouting like the next crop of MMA oh, fighters. It's so tough. That's tough. Um, what I like about it is it, I, I don't say I use it as scouting because you don't know who's going to make a jump over, right. but it's more of refreshing me. I, I'll recognize names when they come over. Um, like I, I got it. If I, if I, like UFC wouldn't be interested, but like Bellator, the guy that I would go after, I would have seen, I don't want to. I, I would have a representative for Bellator at the NCAAs. And as soon as Austin DeSanto has his last match, and Austin DeSanto is a 133 pounder yeah. for Ohio. Uh, I'm sorry, Iowa. Uh, he's he's going to be a. I mean, it's most likely that he uh, becomes an All American. So he'll be a four time All American. Uh, it's most likely going to happen. He's He's got an outside, I'd say an outside shot of winning the entire thing. I think he's the fourth seed, and that was because of the divisional things, but he's probably overall the third. The problem is he's got to go against Roman Bravo Young, the reigning national champion. They're, they'd have to face each other in the semis. But he's, I think he's 
I think they, they split each other the last two matches. But my point is, why Austin DeSantis stands out to me is like this guy's got personality. He's got it's like doc, you, you can watch like documentaries and like he got like a, like a little bit of mini brawl with Nick Soriano, who's the number one guy at 125, and just he's got the charisma mm-hmm. and he's an elite level wrestler. That's the guy you need. Uh, AJ Ferrari is another. He's not wrestling because he's injured, but that was like a guy. Um, but yeah, like guys like that. Those are what I try. I try to find the like guys who have the personalities that 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 could fit. Like like Spencer Lee is incredible, but Spencer Lee is when he's done wrestling, he's going to the Olympics and then he, you know, and then he's going on to coaching or something. Yeah, he'll like he'll be an associate or an assistant coach somewhere. You know, yeah. the next year. He's made to be in wrestling forever. Speaking of wrestling, how about Gunnar Nelson versus Takashi Sato? <laughs> hit, hit me up later, guys, and I'll, I'll give you all my uh, NCAA predictions. Wrestling predictions. There you go. I love it. I, I think I'm the only side track. I think I'm the only person who, lo- like, if you're an Iowa fan, you like Austin DeSanto. Maybe that. I don't know. I love Austin DeSanto. I, like, everyone hates the guy. I love him. <laughs> But he brings excitement. Like he's yeah. different. That's why I like about him. Yeah, I, it's you know. Like AJ and, Ferrari. Everyone hates AJ. I love AJ Ferrari. I'm the biggest AJ Ferrari fan there is. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the the personalities have a tendency to run together. You know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's less so now than it was 20 years ago. But you know, in broad strokes, you know, the NCAA's look like a bunch of farm boys with cauliflower ear. Yeah. Talking about how hard they work and, and yeah. thank you, Jesus, and I work so hard. Yeah. And this guy's the hardest working guy in the room. Like, there we had that many times. Mm-hmm. I want the person. Like, yeah. Like, like, if you're there, yeah, you've been the hardest working person in the room probably your whole life. Like, we, we yeah. get what it's like to come up yeah. through wrestling, but. Uh. <laughs> Next you, up. And I'll, I'll say this right now. I, can, I don't give a shit about the NCAA basketball. Like private college is there, I hope they win. They they're probably gonna win. Bryant College, which is another little Rhode Island one there, the playing game. But I hope they win the whole freaking thing. But beyond that. We care, care more about the NCAA. Sure dog doesn't have an office pool for it, so we don't care. Yeah. We we're we're, wait, we're waiting for fantasy football to come around so we can meet in the championship game for the third yeah, year in you a row. You beat me. You beat me two years in a row in the finals. Hey, you're <laughs> you're becoming like the nineteen eighties Denver Broncos of the like, no, like the, uh, the Buffalo, the, the Bills, yeah, <laughs> the '90s Bills. <laughs> uh, next up at UFC London is a welterweight matchup between Gunnar Nelson and late notice opponent Takashi Sato, who steps in for uh, Claudio Silva, who pulled out just about a week ago, and you know now we get uh, Nelson versus Sato. Nelson, the 33-year-old Icelander by way of SBG Ireland, is. 17 5 and 1 overall. He is 8 and 5 in the UFC. He is on a two fight losing streak, but in his defense, they're both really good fighters in Leon Edwards and Gilbert Burns, and the more worrying factor is that the last of those losses was in September of 2019. Uh he, you know, it's been 30 months on the shelf for him. He comes back now. Again, had been scheduled to face Claudio Silva. Uh Silva withdrew with an injury and is replaced by Sato. Uh, Sato, 31-year-old from Tokyo, is 15-4 and four overall. He is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. He's alternated wins and losses. Those 
being a win over Ben Saunders, a loss to Bilal Muhammad, a win over Jason Witt, and a loss to Miguel Baeza. The last of those, the Baeza loss, was all the way back in November of 2020. So for him, it's been 16 or 17 months, but uh, he now uh, makes his comeback. Nelson is a strong favorite here. He's minus 350, Sato plus 275. Keith, tell us uh, how you feel about the return of our favorite karate stance jujitsu wizard uh, Icelander and uh, and his late notice opponent in Sato. Uh, yeah, so this is a three for three on guys that I, I forgot about Gunnar Nelson. Um, yeah, Gunnar, when we last saw him, I mean, everything, he's been out so long, so you kind of base it on what we've previously known of him. So the guy that we can see, we can see a guy that's going to be completely shot for as, as far as I know. But we last seen him, karate stylist, he does keep his hands low with that karate style, very Stephen Thompson style. So he's got wide stance. He he makes you he, – he leaves himself open to leg kicks because on that front stance, um, but he also draws power because of that. Uh, he switches stance. He fights out of both, stance, uh, both sides. Uh, light on his feet, pretty elusive. Uh, good footwork to avoid shots, good vision. Uh, he likes to sit all the way back and then just dart in with an attack, uh, usually a single strike, though. Good calf kicks. Uh, very underrated wrestler in the sense. Like, good trips inside. Has, like, a also – I think he has like a judo background too, because he's got really like judo trips and stuff. But he's a very like good uh, wrestler in the sense like he took down Leon Edwards three times in that fight. People forget that like just a split decision with Leon Edwards. Uh, he's a, he's and he's a fantastic uh, BJJ practitioner. He's trained and and competed in some of the best tournaments a, there is. He's a mundial silver medalist. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have off the top of my head his credentials, but they're way up there. Uh, I mean, all you got to see is his fights against David Meyer and, and, and Gil Burns, like two of the greatest grapples in the history of MMA, and he didn't get subbed by either one of them in one moment in both their fights. And he's got 12 career submissions. Move to Sato, southpaw, marches forward, nice one-two punches, has good power to strikes, really steps in on shots, but makes the mistake of throwing single shots. Uh, he also makes the mistake of throwing like the same overhand left over and over over again, very predictable. Uh, he lacks head movement. His last fight, he was hurt by that. Like Miguel Baez hurt him several times. I like that he took a long time off. Um, makes me a little more confident in his chin because he, he got hurt a couple times. Uh, maybe he's recovered a little bit. Uh, he, he's not much of a grappler. He can get an offensive takedown, but he's a weak defensive wrestler. He struggles to get off the bottom. He saw the last fight, and he was quickly submitted in his last fight uh, when it hit the ground by Miguel Baez. Uh, as far as prediction goes, to me, this simply comes down to, like, what does Gunnar Nelson have left? Um, yeah, he's lost some fights, you know, his last couple of fights recently, but he's got, like, really good guys. Like, he's lost to the top, top guys. Um, he's, if he is close to what we've last seen him, he's a better athlete, he's a better striker, he's the way, way, way better grappler. I expect Nelson to get a takedown. I expect him to sub Sato early. I think it's a terrible Sato's matchup. Give me Nelson by first round Uh Totally agree here that the biggest question is whether Nelson is compromised at all. Because I don't have a real good, I don't have a real good insight into his mindset. Like, I don't know if he was ever going to fight again or if he was just going to pop up if and when the UFC had another uh, card in, you know, in the UK or somewhere in Europe that was convenient to him. But 
I agree with you that where he left off, he was still an elite welterweight. He was losing to the best of the best, like Gilbert Edwards, or sorry, Gilbert Burns, Leon Edwards, Santiago Ponzinibbio, and everyone else. He wasn't just beating them; he was submitting them, and he was like dominant in doing so. And that Ponzinibbio uh, one was a real controversial. That was one with the eye pokes and everything. Right there, there you go. And uh, you know, controversy or no, getting knocked out in the first round by Santiago Ponzinibbio is something that's just it happened to a lot of people in in. 2017 uh <clears throat> assuming he is anything like what we last saw in the octagon yeah he is a terrible matchup for sato he's probably better everywhere but the difference on the ground in particular is going to be a problem i just i can't get out of my mind uh what an easy time miguel baeza had on the ground with sato and baeza is a good mma grappler gunner nelson is a great mma grappler as well as a great grappler you know period in the world of grappling. So give me Nelson by second round submission. And the only real suspense for me will be whether it sounds like he wants to keep doing this. Like if he's calling out somebody for a card three or four months from now, fantastic. You know, if we're just going to see him periodically, you know, when there's a card in, in the UK or Ireland, that's fine too. We head now to the lightweight division for a matchup between Patty Pimblett and Rodrigo Vargas. Pimblett, the 27-year-old Liverpool native, is 17-3 overall. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC as a former uh, Cage Warriors featherweight champ and a former uh, Cage Warriors lightweight title challenger. Uh, didn't quite make it to two-division status, but you know was the featherweight champ. He had his UFC debut in September against Luigi Vendramini. Got in a little bit of trouble there, but ended up on the uh, on the good side of it. Got a TKO late in the first round. He will be taking on Vargas. The 36-year-old Mexican is 12 and 4 overall. He is 1 and 2 in the UFC. Uh, lost his first two against uh, Alex da Silva Coelho and Brock Weaver. The Brock Weaver fight was a weird one because he was probably getting the better of it than landed a blatantly illegal knee and uh, ended up losing by disqualification. Came back uh, over a year after that, uh, last April, and took a unanimous decision over Zhu Rong at UFC 261. Uh, despite that, he is a substantial underdog here. Pimblet is minus 400 right now. Vargas plus 310 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? Uh, is Patty Pimblett going to keep winning enough to keep making people mad? He seems to be a, a magnet for, for both love and hate, a divisive figure. Yeah, that's the perfect guy you want. I mean, how he wasn't signed earlier, and I know he turned down a contract with UFC, but like how other organizations didn't pursue him is, is mind-boggling. Like, uh, we always talk about like, um, like talent with a talent and marketability mix he's got a little bit of both like he might be more about the marketable side than on on the talent but if i'm building an organization i want elite talent i want marketability and then i want the guys who do both and, and, you know if they don't fit one of those three i don't want them um but he's oh well two of them obviously uh he's he's got it like he's got the marketability and he may have the talent to back that uh i am not as high which is funny, I'm saying this. I'm not as high on Patty Pimblett's talent as, as a lot of other people are. Um, that said, like he's he's winning right now in the UFC. Uh, 
I, I one of the reasons why I really like Tiny Puma in this fight is yeah, he's got tons of experience, like high level experience, like Cage Warriors is a good organization. But besides that, like he loves the crowd. He's a guy who lives in that moment, and he's gonna get probably the biggest pop from the crowd. And he was he just feels like a guy who's made for someone who's set up in London to fight in the UFC to get a win. Like like this just seems like his moment now. Uh, he for a long time I called him a one dimensional fighter, and I think he's starting to really improve on his feet. His boxing still limited, uh, limited, but I used to sleep on his power, and he did show in his last fight that he's got some some sting in his shots. Uh, he does make the mistake of dropping his hands. He does back straight up, but he's pretty elusive. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks uh, he's to all parts of body. Like he throws question mark kicks, goes down to the legs. You know, throw an occasional flying attack. Uh, a lot of stuff just to like kind of um, like either kick him way outside or they like kind of close the distance or something crazy. When he gets inside, he likes the upper body traps. Not a powerful wrestler, but he's more of a guy who just he just wants to create a scramble. And he's confident enough when the scramble happens, uh, he'll get the back or, or get the better position. He's got really weak takedown defense, but again, I think that goes kind of what we talked about Paul Craig, where he, he's willing to just take me down. Uh, but he's very flexible, slick back takes, he is submission threat, and he changed submissions about it. That's his death point. He keeps always moving to the next submission as you're fighting out of it. Uh, out of the first submission. Now, Vargas, you mentioned very aggressive to a, to a fault in the Brock Weaver fight. But Southpaw, I'd say he's a minus athlete, kind of plotting, uh, stalking kind of style, but he's got plus power. Nice, nice kicks. Uh, he'll occasionally look for a takedown. He'll catch a takedown. Uh, I go back to the Brock Weaver. He got like a nice, uh, I think he got a single and he like ran the pipe on it. Uh, but he doesn't do much when he's on top. You know, he has three subs, but his last sub was five and a half years ago. Uh, as far as predictions go, like again, I'm not so intimate like others are, but this really is a softball in the sense of what the UFC could do and with him in England. I mean, they found a guy that uh, is on the roster and is one of the lower level guys in the division. Uh, so. If, if Pimlet loses this one, then I'll really jump off the Pimlet bandwagon, which I don't think I'm on anyways. But um, I'm going to say Pimlet closes the distance, creates a scramble, and then finds a submission in the scramble. Give me Pimlet by first round sub. There you go. Uh, and you're right that, and this is not meant to be any slight on Fargus. I mean, he's a good fighter. He's 12 and four. He's in the UFC. But yeah, this is a softball. Like, you know, the, Pimblet isn't fighting Ilya Taporia right now. You know, even though Taporia is fighting it lightweight, you know, earlier down the card. Uh, there is a difference in strength of schedule for these guys. Like, you know, Pimblet could have been in the UFC earlier than he was, but he was fighting good competition in Cage Warriors. His his one featherweight title defense in Cage Warriors was against Julian Arosa. Arosa's in the UFC right now, and it turns out he's not bad. Uh, his attempt at winning the vacant lightweight title was against Soren Bach. He lost to Soren Bach, but you know what? Bach is in Bellator right now, and he could absolutely be in the UFC. Like, you know, Soren Bach is like on a 10-fight winning streak. Like, he's, like, he he, he might be one of the, the next people that, like, I argue to start kind of creeping up on the bottom of the rankings. Like, he was fighting good people in Cage, in cage Warriors. Uh, so Vargas is absolutely not the best fighter that Pimblet has faced. Whereas Pimblet is the best fighter that Vargas has faced. And I yeah, think I that's I think that's that's gonna tell here. Uh 
Pimblet, I think, like, I'm not completely sold on him either. And, I mean, I would have been kind of laughing if Luigi Benjamini had lamped him in September. But I almost okay. think... I almost think we watched Pimblet get his his octagon jitters out. Like he got rocked, he was in trouble, he recovered, he got the rousing victory, and two minutes later he was his cocky self on the mic, just you know, uh, doing his thing. I don't think Vargas is even going to get that much. Uh, give me Pimblet by I'm going to say second round submission, but I don't think he's even going to give Vargas his moments. Like he's he's going to outstrike him on the feet. I think it'll go to the ground when Piblet says it does, and he has a huge advantage there. So uh, give me Patty Piblet by second round submission, and the crowd will go wild. Yeah. The only difference is, like, none of them will be booing him. Like, in an American show, it'd be like half boos and half yeah. cheers, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it does feel crazy. Okay, Connecticut with the Brand Ward his return. And that was one of the loudest crowds I've ever heard. Really? Yeah. It was crazy. It was it, it, nice. Nice moment. The guy coming out with all his drug issues and stuff and beating drugs. It was nice. That's good. The co-main event of UFC Fight Night 204 is a featherweight matchup between Arnold Allen and Dan Hooker. Allen, the 17-1 and one, uh, Englishman, 28 years old, is a perfect 8-0 uh, since joining the UFC out of Cage Warriors, of course. Uh, most recently fought uh, last April, where he took a unanimous decision over Sadiq Youssef. Uh, prior to that, he beat Nick Lenz, Gilbert Melendez, Jordan Rinaldi. He's been in the UFC since 2015. And again, as aside from a somewhat sporadic schedule, he's typically just fought once or twice per year. Pretty much unimpeachable. He is taking on Hooker. Uh, Hooker, 32-year-old New Zealander, is 21-11 and 11 overall. He is eight and four in the UFC, uh, went three and three at lightweight, lost three of his last four against uh, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, and Islam Makachev. Uh, those uh, with a win over Nazrat Hakparast nestled in between. Decided his best uh, chances to make it to a title, lay back at featherweight. So he is dropping back down uh, to the division where he went five and one. His only loss uh, was to Edson Barboza back in 2018. Hooker is the slight favorite here. He is minus 120. Allen, even money, plus 100. Uh, Keith, how do you like this uh, move for Dan Hooker? And uh, who do you see getting his hand raised on Saturday? Uh, yeah, I, I don't like to move down. Um, I I think it's, if anything, I think Dan Hooker probably should have up in weight um, because, like, being big is not his issue. Um, honestly, I, I don't think when I, when I look at Dan Hooker's game, I don't see a lot of big issues. I just think he fought really, really good guys and lost to really, really good guys. Um, based on my prediction, like, if he looks good on the scale, I might take him. If he looks terrible on the scale, I will probably go against, against him. Um, I can only base him on what I've seen recently. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, he hasn't been good at 145, as, as you mentioned, and that very well might be the case. He might be just be a better fighter at, at 155, or it could just simply be a guy who kind of came into his own. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, what I've seen of him, he uses movement well. Um, he does really good at pulling fighters into his punches. He did it against Felder. He did it against Hawk Ross. 
he he was trying to do into Chandler until he got, got uh, tagged. Uh, he keeps distance with his check left hook. Uh, he can he can hit while back, backing up, which is pretty impressive. He keeps range with check knees, which I love. But he kind of like either faint with his knees, just kind of remind wrestlers they're there, or just throw them. Uh, accurate with his shots, good pop on his strikes. He's got plus power, um, but I'm I'm worried if the with the drain you know draining his body could not wait. I wonder if the power will be there. Uh, he's got some really long uh, legs, which are obviously open to leg kicks because of a big target. But he uses his long legs to make it really hard to take him down. Um, my guys have tried to pick him up. He kind of like almost has that like you can't single leg him because like one leg is still easily on on the ground now. Obviously, there's the obsessions, and that exception is Islam Makhachev talking about easily. But, uh, good calf kicks. I mean, he beat up Al Iaquinta with those kicks. He actually forced Al Iaquinta to fight southpaw. Uh, but on the flip side, like I said, mentioned about his legs being big targets. Barbosa tore up his legs. I mean, they were one of the most brutal beatdowns of kicking out his legs. I would say he's a very underrated offensive wrestler. He'll get takedowns from the clinch. He has this like nice slide by against the clinch where he gets your back. Uh, he can shoot. He took Dustin Poirier down four times. Uh, he also catch a kick to take it down. Uh, he defends takedowns by just stretching his legs wide, which is obviously he's so long it works for him. And then throwing downward elbows. Though uh, he did get taken down late in the Dustin Poirier fight, which I don't like. Uh, I also don't like the amount of damage he's taken recently. I, I'm talking about the Barbosa fight, the Poirier fight, the Felder fight. Um, and then, obviously, the KO loss to Michael Chandler is disturbing. Moving to Arnold Allen, 28 years old. I mean, he's right in his prime years. Southpaw, really good footwork, good lateral movement. Does well to slide into the pocket and land shots. He throws straight shots down the pipe. Not a lot of tell. Everything's short. Uh, he likes to lead with his power left hand, and it's accurate. Uh, I like his... I like. I saw this one technique he does. He was like sliding to his right and then uppercutting as he's circling away, which was a really nice angle. He's get, just get a, a different angle, a different look. I really like that shot. Um, underrated power too. Like I don't think Arnold Allen is a guy who like really can crack. Uh, but you go back to the last fight against Sadiq Yusuf. He hurt him twice. Uh, he's got a sneaky high kick. He hurt Sadiq Yusuf with a high kick. Uh, but he is open to leg kicks. Uh, Yusuf was really destroying his legs, which we've seen Yusuf do to a lot of fighters uh, with leg kicks. He also doesn't like being pressured. Um, I noticed that in the fight. Um, if, if you press him too much and he can close the distance, he's good at just grinding against the cage. He's willing to, to add big portions of the fight, just him grinding the cage. He's a great offensive wrestler, good entries. Uh, but he faded late against Yusuf. Like, like he showed he was getting tired. Man, I'm I'm really I'm really torn on this fight. Like I like both guys. I'm really concerned what we're gonna get with Dan Hooker at 145. I'm gonna take Hooker. You know what? He has a lot of experience. He has battled the better fighters. I'm gonna take him to land the better shots on the feet. However, I'm gonna put this little caveat, which I don't do. <laughs> Come Friday when he weighs in, if he looks like shit, I'm gonna switch my my pick. But right now, I'm going to take Hooker by decision. I I feel the same concern you do. And while I don't normally watch the weigh-ins that closely for the reason of, you know, uh, who looks terrible on the scale or who looked scared at the face-off or anything like that, certainly for someone like Hooker, who is dropping back down in weight in his early 30s, 
that's worth keeping an eye on. I have concerns about uh, Allen as well. I mean, the guy debuted in the UFC all the way back in 2015. He was 21 years old, had all the potential in the world. And since then, again, since 2015, he's only fought more than once in a calendar year one time. And that was in 2019. Other than that, he's fought once per year, uh, has had a bunch of fights evaporate. And just anytime you get a guy like that, obviously he's he's much earlier along in his career, hasn't taken anywhere near the kind of punishment. But you wonder when that kind of guy is going to turn into a Tony Ferguson and just all the wheels fall off at the same time. You know, because the, the only complaint about Ferguson for the longest time was he was always injured, like just never fought quite often enough, which is why he strung so many wins together before, you know, getting into the title picture. I, I worry about that with Allen, but all else being equal, I do slightly favor him here over Hooker, like Hooker going back down to 145. It's not going to help his gas tank. It's not going to help his chin. Uh, and while I don't think Allen's necessarily going to splatter him, that's not, you know, Allen isn't a lights out striker. Uh, I think he's going to, you know, he's going to be able to land. Uh, he's going to be working against a reach advantage. But generally speaking, I, I think he should be able to to navigate that. Uh, he's a good sound striker. I'm interested to see what it looks like if the fight goes to the ground. And I have the feeling we're going to see it because I expect this fight uh, to go all three rounds. But just tentatively, give me Allen by decision. That brings us to the main event of UFC Fight Night 204 a scheduled five rounds of heavyweight action between perennial contender Alexander Volkov and up-and-comer Tom Aspinall. Volkov, the 33-year-old Russian, is 34-9 and overall. He is 8-3 and since joining the UFC as a former Bellator and M1 heavyweight champ. He most recently fought uh, last October at UFC 267, where he took a unanimous decision over Martin Tybura. That allowed him to turn things around after losing by unanimous decision to Surreal Gan in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 190 last June. Uh, he'll be taking on Aspinall. The 28-year-old Manchester native is 11-2 overall. He's 4-0 since joining the UFC. Uh, all four have been finishes. Three of them have been first-round finishes. Specifically, uh, he knocked out Jake Collier in just 45 seconds in his debut back in July of 2020, then knocked out Alain Bodeau in the first round uh, in October of 2020, tapped out Andre Arlovsky in the second round at UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis last February, and most recently at uh, UFC Not London uh, last September, he knocked out Sergey Spivak in the first round. And that was like Spivak stepped up as a late notice opponent. And I'm trying to remember who he was supposed to take on. I think it was Alexi Olenek. But uh, Sergey stepped up on short notice and got blasted in half a round for his trouble. Uh, the odds on this one have been moving. When I looked at this uh, a week out from fight night, so Saturday, you know, the Saturday before, Volkov was a slight favorite. He was minus 120. Aspinall was even money at plus 100. It is now a pick em as of Monday Monday night. You can find both men at plus 100. Uh, again, I, I'm not going to give you any specific betting advice, except that Aspinall is the headliner and he's the hometown guy. I mean, London is not Manchester, but, you know, he's the native son. So if you like Volkov, watch for the odds to continue sliding in Aspinall's direction uh, as you know, money comes in on, on Aspinall. Oh. I, I feel as though Volkov is one of those guys that when it's all said and done, and 
this is uh, this will be completely wrong if he makes some sort of interesting mid career turnaround and ends up winning a UFC title or fighting for a UFC title. But I can see him becoming the kind of guy that ends up historically underappreciated for, you know, what he's accomplished at the highest levels of the sport and for how long. And the funny thing is, I think his Bellator and M1 titles are actually kind of overrated. And I don't, I don't want to say meaningless because that sounds insulting to the other promotions, but they kind of are like the Bellator heavyweight title was a big pile of nothing at the time. Uh, and Volkov winning the M1 title. I mean, he was super young. And as soon as he had to defend it, uh, Vitaly Minikov mopped the floor with him. Like what's really impressive is that when he came to the UFC, you know, heralded young, kind of a raw unfinished product, how well he's developed while at the same time being good the whole time. Like he has no bad losses in, in the UFC. He's eight and three and his UFC losses are to Derek Lewis which, you know, Derek Lewis is the Paul Craig of punching. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, he, he was, yeah. yeah, like Volkov was, was literally 15 seconds away from winning the fight when Derek Lewis, like, made his head do, like, the exorcist and got a knockout with 11 seconds left. He lost to Curtis Blades by just being out-wrestled and ground down, and he lost to Surreal Gun by Surreal Gun Snake Charmer Special. That's it. And everyone else he's beaten, and in most cases, he's made it look kind of easy. You know, uh, Killed Fabricio Verdum with a shovel rear hand uppercut, which I know is a terrible strategic idea, but damn, when it landed, did it like ice Verdum? Just the the rest the rest of the pack, you know, if you're not a top five guy, he has an easy time with you. Walt Harris, Alistair Overeem, Martin Tybura, just he doesn't break much of a sweat, but because he hasn't fought for a title yet, because he's I mean, they call him Drago, and obviously part of it is that he's this super tall Russian with kind of the same hairdo. But part of it is that, like, Drago had, like, ten words in that whole movie, and that's kind of like Volkov as well. He's just, he's not a, he's not a big personality. In fact, he, uh, Sherdog posted an interview with him this week where he talked a little bit about why he never does many interviews. And part of it is that he's not super comfortable with the publicity side of it, and part of it is that outlets never ask him, and I don't know if that's just because they assume he's going to be a jerk or they assume he's going to have nothing to say or they assume he doesn't speak English. I don't know what any of it is, but he's going to go down as an underappreciated guy because not only has he been a perennial, you know, gatekeeper to the top five. Like if you can beat Volkov, you're probably ready for a title shot. Uh, not only that, but he's continued to develop. The guy that arrived in the UFC in 2015, 2016 he was six foot seven. He was like 240 pounds, 245 pounds. And he looked like a small forward for an Eastern European basketball team. And he was a good striker who was pretty good at managing distance. And his takedown defense wasn't great. And, you know, now 2022, he pushes the 265 pound limit and he's put on quality weight. Like his upper body looks about the same, but just his legs are bigger. And it's, it's been to his benefit. Like he still throws a decent, uh, he still throws decent volume. His cardio is still not a problem, but it's made him harder to take down. Like Curtis Blades took him down over and over again, but Curtis Blades might be the best takedown artist in heavyweight mixed martial arts history. Like he might be the guy. And everyone else, it's just not that easy. Like yeah, people shoot right. on him, those heavy legs, those heavy hips. He digs the underhooks, like he digs the underhooks like Krokop and just kind of uses his weight of his legs because, you know, Krokop, another guy with heavy lower body compared to his upper body, just shucks people off. Uh, he's doesn't have a ton of power. 
you know, but he has enough power to make the Alexander Volkov game work. He has enough power that if you keep running into his jab, you're going to stop because it, it hurts and it sucks and it disrupts you. His push kicks up the middle are like his second jab that's even a foot longer than his regular jab. Uh, he's That's probably another reason why he'll go down underappreciated because he's not always spectacular to watch. And if, if it's spectacular, it's usually because he lost spectacularly. Like the Derek Lewis fight was terrible up until the knockout. Yeah. Uh, all of this is my, my way towards saying that I understand why Aspinall is even money here and might well be the favorite by the time this thing gets to the, you know, to the cage. But Aspinall, if he's going to win this, he's going to have to do some things that he's never done before. This is a step up in competition from the guys he's beaten. Like Absolutely. Arlovsky and Spivak are both good fighters. Arlovsky is still never an easy out for anyone. And Spivak is a borderline top 10 guy. But Volkov is much better than either of those guys in 2022. And while Aspinall is well-rounded, one of the most impressive things about Aspinall is that he is a big, like heavyweight, like he is a guy that's, you know, 250, 255, and very athletic, and has all the component skills. His best chances lie in getting this to the ground. Uh, you know, like he knows how to do everything, but his entry to MMA, his dad, Andy Aspinall, is the grappling coach at Team Calvon. That's, you know, like he he is he is a grappler who also has, you know, learned boxing and, and wrestling. If he just stays on the feet with Volkov, I mean, he's he's going to be quicker. He's going to have faster hands and feet, but he's going to have an uphill battle the whole time just fighting a guy in Volkov who's become one of the best fighters in history, in heavyweight history, fighting tall. Like, it used to be that, you know, Tim Sylvia stood out just because he was 6'8 and actually used a jab and actually used kicks. Uh, but, you know, Sylvia didn't have the... He didn't have the athleticism to always make it work. Like a guy like Randy Couture could bounce into range and hit him with an overhand, even though he was giving up tons of reach. Uh, Volkov might be the best tall heavyweight that, that, that's ever done it at this point. So, I mean, Aspinall could win a striking battle. He could even catch Volkov with something big and knock him out, but that would require him to do something that really only Derek Lewis has done. I don't know if that's Tom Aspinall. I think this is going to hinge on Aspinall being able to get Volkov down. And that's the real question because Volkov is not as easy to take down as Blades made it look. And even Blades was tired by the end of that fight. Volkov, you know, the game he played against Blades, yeah, you might be able to take me down. Maybe you'll get the first five takedowns, but none of them are coming for free. And it's not, it's at least not going to be the wrestling where one guy is doing all the work. So I think Aspinall has a little bit of an uphill battle here. Uh, again, I understand why the odds are what they are, but my gut says that Volkov is going to just win three out of five rounds, maybe four out of five rounds by keeping Aspinall at range, keeping the stand up to at least a stalemate and denying Aspinall enough takedowns that just Aspinall is not able to win rounds, not able to get himself in a position to finish the fight. And I'm really interested to see to see what this looks like if it goes past the, the second round, which I'm predicting it will, because Aspinall's gas tank is a huge question mark. He is a big heavyweight, and he's a, a heavy heavyweight with good movement on the feet and who likes to wrestle and grapple, all of which burn your, your gas really quickly. Uh, you know, if it gets to the end of the second round, even if Aspinall's won both of the first two rounds, if he's sucking wind bad at the end of the second round, it's going to go bad for him. So all the variables I can think of kind of work in Volkov's favor here. And because of that, I'm picking Volkov to win this by decision. But I would love to hear how I am wrong and crazy about that, Keith. 
I'm not confident in this play at all. I, I, there's a reason why it's a pick them. Um, and that actually what intrigues me about this fight. I mean, it, you, you talked about all the skills of both fighters, and, and they're both top-notch guys. I mean, I I picked Volkov to beat Cyril Gaon, so what the hell do I know? <laughs> you know, but it also shows that um, when I think of the guy, the guys you mentioned, long, lengthy, uh, you keep talking about how big Aspen was. <laughs> he's not the big one in this fight. <laughs> Volkov is, I mean, he's like almost seven feet tall. Uh and you talk about, uh, you know, all things are good. It just comes down to he's a very technically sound striker who don't understand what he does. Uh, he was really weird against in the surreal gone fight, but other than that, he, he sticks to a game plan, accurate, keeps punches, you know, range finding punches. You talk about his jab, everything comes off his jab, uh, straight right down the pipe is, is good, works the body with teeth kicks and. Step in these. You mentioned it as like another jab, which is which is true. If you get inside of him, he uses movement to do, to do well to get back to his range. Uh, he just just touches. You mentioned he doesn't have a lot of power, but just, just just touches. But the power shots will come when there's openings, and still you're getting punched by a guy who's no almost seven feet tall, so he's gonna have power. I, I like you mentioned that the only person that's hurt him. Is Derek Lewis, and that is a pretty good feat when you look at the guys that he's given on the list of the guys that he's faced. Uh, you also mentioned Curtis Blades being the only guy to take him down, and, and yeah, he took him like 14 times in five rounds. But I like that you mentioned Curtis Blades is such a different wrestler than all the other wrestlers. I mean, the guy Curtis Blades is the one who shoots doubles. How many wrestlers in the history of the heavyweight division actually shot doubles? I mean, at a high level. Brock Lesnar. I think he, uh, he didn't do it, but they, you know, Dan Cormier could, but Cain Velasquez, I guess, could. Um, I mean, you're going way back. Kevin Randleman, you're going way back. Kevin Randleman, who should have, should have been a middleweight the whole time anyway, but yeah, yeah. he did. <laughs> and I don't know if he could take down Volkov for you know, the lack of size. But my point is, is just because someone has a wrestling background, like Marcin Tabura is a good wrestler and couldn't take him down because there's much different style to the wrestling. He'd get you inside, on the hook, work down to a single. Like, that's not how you're going to take down Volkov. you got to have this explosive style like Curtis Blades has. Now, move over to Aspidal. You mentioned how big he is. He's 6'5 himself. It's not often that he's going to be the smaller guy. He's long and lengthy. I like that he can work in both stances. He's so athletic. He's quick, uh, light on his feet. He moves like a middleweight. He really uses movement well to avoid shots. He's a he's a very good boxer. He's accurate. He's got huge power in his hands. Uh, he can mix in takedowns, as you mentioned. He's a very good grappler. He's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He submitted Andre Olovsky, which uh, is a pretty good feat in his own right, and then showed against Sergey Spivak some really mean ground and pound. Uh, as far as prediction goes, I mean, I was already on the fence. You got me even more on the fence because you made you made a lot of really good points. Um, when you, when you think about the guys who have beaten Volkov, you talk, you mentioned you know his first loss being Derek Lewis. Can Tom Tom Aspinall do what Derek Lewis does? Can he crack him on the chin and knock him out? Yeah, I guess he could. Is that likely? Like, is it like you know to match like a guy like Derek Lewis's power? Probably not. Then you mentioned Curtis Blades and the way Curtis Blades beat him, just out wrestling him. Could Aspel out wrestle him? I guess he could. 
Is it likely? Probably not. But the only fight that you didn't really mention was the Cyril Gon. And how did Cyril Gon win? Kind of just was better athlete. He was quicker than him. He kind of controlled the range, got inside, kind of landed his shot, got out, got back out, kicked the leg, move, kind of just out, like, was a better athlete. Out, like, didn't, mm-hmm. you know, more elusive and this and that, and just kind of controlled, like, and, and woke up and it was never really get out of first gear. It took a really long time. Could ask, can Aspel do, do that? And that's what I think he can do. I think he'd be the quicker fighter. I think he can dart in and out of range, land better shots. And I actually think he has more power than Sorogon and the threat of the takedown. So you said that it takes a top five guy to beat Alexander Volkov. And that's the question. Is Tom Aspel a top five guy? I think he is. So I'm taking Aspel. I don't think he's going to finish Volkov because that is a hell of a feat to be able to do. But I'm going to say Aspinall uh, has a very surreal gone type victory. Uh, Give me Aspinall by decision. All right. There we go. Uh, Keith and I disagree on the co-main and main event of the same card for, I think it might be the first time ever, honestly. I'll have to look back. Really? But this has I'm been. Not either one. <laughs> either <laughs> me either. Uh, this has been the Sherdog Radio Network uh, preview for UFC Fight Night 204, also known as UFC London, uh, Volkov versus Aspinall. If there is a big chunk of fights missing in the middle of this, it is because we had a recording snafu that I was not able to recover from. If that is the case, apologies, and that shouldn't happen again. We'll figure out a way to make sure it doesn't. If the preview looks like normal and you have all 13 fights, then I'll probably delete this. So you won't know how close I came to pulling all my hair out, but uh, either way uh, that's been the preview. Obviously we will have the recap. So uh, Saturday, you you want to throw our picks in the, in, in in the uh, description. So people actually care about that stuff. Oh yeah, I absolutely. And and they all roll up the screen at the end anyway. Okay. Yeah. all, All the picks will roll up the screen. Like actually, as I'm saying this, but you know, uh, 15 to 20 minutes after the main event, we'll be live on the Sherdog YouTube page, breaking down all these fights, talking about what was good, what was bad, what was controversial, which picks we got wrong, uh, what's next for the winners as well as the losers. Uh, if you've been to those live chats before, you know that the YouTube chat section is open and we're interacting directly with you, taking your questions, your hot takes, uh, asking you for your picks on things. So uh, if you haven't joined us before, please do. Uh, It's a lot of fun. It's kind of an interactive group, uh, kind of a little club that uh, we've got going there, and we would love to have you join. Uh, Between now and then, obviously, please like, subscribe, make a comment on the YouTube video. Uh, We're both pretty good about uh, getting back at those comments. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the fights, and we will talk to you on the other side. 